Here it is, the final episode. We're finally getting past all this bullshit with Jack the Ripper and the Brits. Because today, we're looking at all the suspects for the Jack the Ripper case, and going over the few that we think could be it, and the few that definitely are not it. This is also happens to be our 10th episode, so happy 10 episodes. Of course, it's fucking Yay! Jack the Ripper. Man, um, I was really hoping that we would uh, be able to have lucky number 10 be our next episode, but lucky number 11. Woo! Ooh, yeah, lucky number 11. Yeah, so with like that... Baker's Dozen. So with that... It's like a Baker's 10. So with that, um, I guess there's nothing left to say. I'm Wes. I'm Jake. And this is the Half Talentless Podcast. Time to finish this shit up. I'm I'm so tired of it. The Brits. We've had too much of them. Fucking hell. I swear, my inner thought, like my inner monologue, mm -hmm. it, it sounds more British every day. I'm like, why am I hearing a Belfast accent in my head? Yeah. Are my teeth more crooked today than they were yesterday? Man, I feel this compulsive need to fuck up police investigations, Wes. <laughs> me and i now i want beans on toast oh, oh like please stop that's the worst british trend oh. their food is so fucking bad all right oh, oh god man. jake all right um you know what to make it even more spooky let's uh let me hit the flippy dicky flippy switch over there the what oh you mean the light switch is that what you americans call it <laughs> 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 the Flippy dippy dickity doff. <laughs> That's not my joke. I'll take credit for it. Though. I'll take I'll take full credit for it. They don't even have light switches over. It's a dial, not like a dial, and not like a dial that you turn and it like increases the bright. The, the it's not you know, like a variable light. voltage. No, thing. no, it's like on and off, but a dial. Because so that makes sense. It'd be so easy to do one that's just like a... You, you ever see You ever see Ted Lasso? You, did, you, did you watch Ted Lasso? Yeah, I watched, I watched the first season. I, I couldn't watch the second season because I didn't have access to Apple TV. Why'd you just ask me? Because I don't like you. Fine, don't watch Ted Lasso season two. It's a great fucking season. Well, I want to watch it. Do ya? <laughs> do ya? <laughs> I can walk out right now. <laughs> I'll take my quarter my quarter talent with me, motherfucker. You think we each have a quarter? Yeah. Bitch, fucking three-eighths over here. What? Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. sure. For the viewers who can't see, for the listeners who... I'm editing that out. For the listeners that can't see us, we're having an intense stare down right now. All right. I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> you looked at me you looked at me like um, fuck what's that the, the that puppet meme? meme no not the puppet not the puppet fuck um I'll, I'll think of it great it's content like, 
God, it's, it's like that meme where the person just looks like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. know what you're talking about. <laughs> you looked at me like that. <laughs> what is it? Um, I don't know. But this is great content, I'm it sure. It is great content. We're, we're four minutes in, and we've... Uh, We've been pushing it off, uh, you know, trying not to, uh, trying not to do Jack the Ripper, but we got into the first yeah, part. Yeah, we, we did the first part, we did the second part. Forced ourselves through the second part. Now, the meat of the subject. The real mystery. Who the hell was he? Who was he? This is the worst part for me. Spoiler alert, we don't fucking know. I mean, we're pretty sure he's a sailor. Uh, we have, in, in the past two parts, you and I have, have... Made our assessment that he's most likely a sailor. I got my little list here, which is yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah. It's gonna, gonna be updated gonna throughout be updated. the uh, episode. Well, Wes, I don't know if you see how many tabs I have. <clears throat> Jesus Christ! But well, these are all the tabs we gotta go through. Time to get into it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, real quick, we talked about John Law. Do you remember that guy? He was the soldier. Uh, yes. So yes, we mentioned it. These... Well, we mentioned it last time, just to bring it back up because we said it last episode. He might have also been a sailor, rather than he might have been in the Navy. They didn't specify, um, like, he could have easily been a soldier. He's not listed as one of the suspects <clears throat> on the website, but honestly... But you and I put that... We, yeah, we, we just, put that as relatively high. Yeah, we, we put him at a 7 with that yeah. information, which yeah. I think is a fair assessment. I think we'll get a few that we're going to we're gonna see, like, a, like an 8 or a 9. Okay. Alright, well, then, uh, I guess let's start. Jake, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll kick us off, so... <clears throat> Uh, according to the website, the number of Jack the Ripper suspects now runs well over 100. Of course. So, yeah. Uh, now, some of them are just complete bullshit. Uh, some of them are actually pretty credible. Uh, you know, it, it goes into how books come out every few years or so, um, managing, you know, claiming to have cracked a case and all that, blah, 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 blah. Very often, this is just bullshit. But sometimes they come up with something useful. Spoiler alert. They didn't crack the case. No, no. Some <clears throat> of them think they did, but they didn't. Fucking fly. Get out of Dude. here, bitch. What? Could you, like, not deal with the fly for, like, three seconds? If it doesn't fly in my fucking face, Jake, then yeah. I'll, I'll leave him like alone if one, he leaves me alone. It's be like that one Breaking Bad episode with the fly. <clears throat> Great episode. Watch Breaking Bad if you haven't. I haven't. All right. What? Science, Brits! I should leave. Anyway. Off of both of that. Anyway, so... <clears throat> so, uh, when the actual investigation was going on, the police believed the crimes were carried out by one of one of the local gangs in the mm. area. We, we talked about that in one of our earlier episodes. And a lot of their investigations early on focused on, on quote, high-rip gangs. Oh, are those the, the gangsters that roll around with the flintlock pistols? I guess, in, yeah. In, or, and the, the frying pans and knives, because no guns in Britain. Yeah, yeah, no guns in Britain. <clears throat> Which like, hot fuzz. Fair enough. Actually, there's yeah. a lot of fucking guns lot of in Britain. Guns in that. But it, to be fair, I mean, I'd ra- if uh, if somebody's rolling up on me to rob me, I'd prefer that. I'd rather them have a frying pan. Yeah, than yeah. a gun. Damn. All maybe right. They'll, maybe they'll make me some eggs while they're <laughs> jacking my shit. Like, <laughs> you mean beans and toast, Jake? Sorry, beans and toast. <laughs> they'll throw some tomatoes on there too. Not you tomatoes. want some breakfast? <laughs> Let me whip up some lickety splits. <laughs> Fucking hell, you want some crunchity numpties? <laughs> anyway. Oh, shit. Fucking biscuits, man. <laughs> oh. No, Wes, biscuits are cookies. <clears throat> yeah, I know. Yeah. <clears throat> 
stupid. I think what you're talking about are crumpets. You want some fucking crumpets. Anyway. So, uh, however... Sorry, I'm sorry, but what is with the Brits making the most disgusting sounding language (laughs) (laughs) known on Earth? Let's get back into it. I'm going to say some things I shouldn't say anymore. Keep going. So, by early September 1888, uh, the police, however, were under the impression that the local gangs, had they done it, would probably, we would know by now. And so they kind of began to begin looking for a, a lone assassin. So... Uh, there was some speculation. I'm just going over the brief overview of the of the suspects, by the way. Um, there was some speculation that the killer might have some medical or anatomical knowledge. Uh, the police <coughs> actually looked into this. They looked into the activities of several medical students who had spent time in asylums. Uh, but the movement of these students were accounted for, and so they were ruled out uh, of involvement in the crimes. Some said that the murderer could have been you know, someone without any degree of medical skill, <coughs> and just that they were more like a butcher or like a slaughter man. Uh, the police, again, carried out extensive inquiries amongst the numerous local butchers and slaughterhouses. Yet again, nothing came of it. All the alibis checked out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible that maybe, like, the that the Ripper's father might have been a slaughterman or a doctor or something? I, I guess that Maybe childhood possible. knowledge, so it's like Perhaps. you don't have... Maybe, maybe something they picked up in, like, an apprenticeship. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um... So, throughout the hunt for Jack the Ripper, uh, the police continued looking in the district. They thought that Jack the Ripper lived in the district. So, dude, did you not silence your I fucking forgot. Cell phone? We were we were just jumping right into it, Jake. What was it? It was Billy. It was Billy. Was he asking if we're still on? Yeah. I'll fucking pause this right <laughs> now. <laughs> All right. Sorry, guys. We, we'll we, right we got to go play Fortnite real yeah, quick. Yeah, we got to we'll go play right Fortnite. We'll be right back. Right. And we're back. Nothing yeah. happened. Uh, we just paused it for a quick second. Thank you for oh. sticking with us. Hold on. Jake, what are you doing? I'm just making sure everything's correct. Everything looks correct. Uh, da, 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 da. There we go. All right. That that should fix everything. And close that. And then... All right. We're fucking professionals. We're man. so professional. This is great. Okay. As we were saying. Yeah. I'm just going to move that. Um, Why? Uh, so it's further away from yours, so we get less of an echo. Oh, okay. Okay, so, yeah. Where were we? <laughs> right, yeah, the police... <laughs> the police remained uh, pretty sure that the Ripper lived in the district. So they focused the investigation on the neighborhood where the crimes were occurring, basically at all times. Uh, apparently, over 2,000 interviews were carried out by the Victorian police officers. More than 300 people were actually investigated, and 80 people were detained in police custody. It is possible that Jack the Ripper was one of these. However, none of the interviews, investigations, or detentions yielded anything concrete that enabled the police to point the figure, finger sorry, at one suspect and say that he was Jack the Ripper. So... Kind of like as we were saying, yeah. It's just as as the years have gone on, we just keep getting more and more because you find more shit. One that I thought was pretty credible, um, Prince Albert Edward Victor, was, uh, he was in uh, part of the British royal monarchy at the time. Yep. Um, I I personally believe that one's pretty likely, um, but this website does not. Whatever. Uh, Lewis Carroll, yeah, that guy. Uh, Who? I believe he wrote Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> what? But yeah, I mean, hate to ruin Alice in Wonderland for anybody out there, but it, that book is basically about his almost pedophilic love for his neighbor. 
Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> or was that Peter Pan? What? Maybe both. Jake out here ruining yeah. all your favorite anyway, children's so, movies. Uh, the Freemasons and Dr. Bernardo are also some more outlandish Jack the Ripper suspects that we're not going to talk about. However, there are a couple that we will. Uh, Thomas Cutbush and Carl Fagenbaum. Fagenbaum? We'll call him Fagenbaum. Fagenbaum. Oh, no, Feige, because like yeah, Kevin Feige. Like Kevin Feige, our, our lord and savior. Uh, yeah, so they were put forward around the time of the murders. Then they were discarded as likely suspects. And then later on, people brought them back into the frame <coughs> because modern research or the fact that their asylum records were open to the public. Huh. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go over some of the suspects. Let's get into it. The first Finally. one is Leather Apron. You know this one. We spoke uh, about it. Yeah, this one basically talks about uh, how Leather Apron was essentially the name Jack the Ripper was known by before the Dear Boss letter. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, he this one, a brief, brief... Re- um, recap. Recap, yeah. yeah. Uh, after the murder of Mary Nichols, prostitutes around the area were asked if there was anyone unusual, and they said uh, there was a character known as Leather Apron. Uh, he basically wore a leather apron all the time, and he had been intimidating the local prostitutes... Uh, with threats and acts of violence. So this has been going on for a while, and of course the police didn't give a shit until there was a high-profile murder, but whatever. Hey, I mean, they still didn't give a shit, but... Yeah, they still didn't give much of a shit. Fucking Brits. Anyway, so... um, This was mentioned in the media on Saturday the 1st. Um, However, on the evening of Sunday the 2nd of September, uh, 1888... Uh, the police, it was at least later reported, quote, missed an opportunity to, appreh- to apprehend Leather Apron. Uh, so, basically, a Metropolitan Police Constable was on duty in Church Street, Spitalfields, which is now called Fournier Street, uh, at around 5 p.m. when a woman ran up to him and pointed to a, quote, low, villainous-looking, end quote, man who was walking along the street and screamed to the officer, quote, there goes Leather Apron, the Whitechapel murderer. Run after him. That's pretty fucking brazen. Yeah. So, listen to this. According to a subsequent newspaper report, the officer's initial reaction was to ignore the woman, whereupon she chided him. Now you have a chance of catching him. You won't try? So this finding was like, all right, fine. This quote spurred him into action by the rebuke, and uh, he, uh, he, he gave chase with the woman running alongside him, <laughs> And after about 400 yards, he caught up with the man. At this point, he was joined by two fellow constables who asked what the matter was. The woman began repeating over and over again that the man was, quote, Leather Apron, the man the police were looking for, and she told the officers that she knew him well by sight. The man denied her accusations, and at first he insisted that he had never seen the woman before. However, he then changed his mind and told one of the officers that the woman was constantly annoying him in this way, and she should be careful what she was saying. That sounds like intimidation to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's what that fucking sounds like to me, too. But of course, the British were like, ah, see, uh, of course, yes. Fucking woman. Fucking woman. Stop talking out of turn, you little shit. Anyway, this, she, she did not stop. She just continued. She was like, <clears throat> she swore that she could fetch two women who had seen him pacing up and down Baker's Row with Mary Nichols about two hours before her murder took place. Furthermore, she said that he had, <clears throat> quote, cruelly ill-used two unfortunates in a common lodging house in City Road, the previous week, and she claimed that amongst the unfortunates of Whitechapel, he was well known as a cruel wench. Cruel wretch, sorry. Jesus. Basically, this guy probably sexually assaulted two prostitutes. It sounds this like he definitely did. This woman told the did. police constables this, and then 
To the astonishment of the woman and several onlookers, the police constables let the man go. Oh my god. <laughs> I should mention the man met her accusations with a sneer and said that she did uh, she did not know what she was talking about. This guy was basically like, she doesn't know what she's fucking talking about. The she's like, a right, cool, woman. You're free to go. Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. I didn't realize we were, we were being approached by a woman. I am oh so God. sorry. <laughs> Andrew Tate moment. Um, excuse me, you're actually a man's property? <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, uh, you can't say it. He lost all his platforms. He got banned. He got banned. He's banned. Don't, don't get us banned, You're a dude. fucking loser. God, I hate that fucking guy. Fucking scrub. Anyway, so the star began looking into Leather Apron <laughs> on uh, over the next few days, and on Tuesday, the 4th of September, the newspaper published its findings. Quote, with regard to the man who goes by the sobriquet of Leather Apron, he has not, it is stated, been seen in the neighborhood much for the past few nights. But this may mean nothing, as the women's street wanderers declare that he is known as well in certain quarters of the West End as he is in Whitechapel. I would have let you read that, but Wes, be honest. Did you know how to say sobriquet? No, but I could have tried. <laughs> All, right. All right. next. How time did I'll... you know sobriquet? Uh, I read a lot of, like... I read Shakespeare at one point. I think it's in that. I've read Shakespeare. Okay. I mean... Okay. I... Uh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. But you didn't know. I mean, I could have guessed. Sorry. It was on the 5th of September, however, that the leather apron scare got underway. On that day, the star published this headline. <clears throat> I get to read this one, right? Yeah. All right. Leather apron... The only name linked with the Whitechapel murders. A noiseless midnight terror. Yeah, so the article continued with uh, this passage. (laughs) The strange character who prowls about Whitechapel after midnight. Universal fear among women. Slippered feet and a sharp leather knife. Yeah, so uh, the report then provided this information about, quote, his antics. And the effect he was having on the streetwalkers of the distance. In the district. Sorry. Leather Apron, by himself, is is quite an unpleasant character. If as many of the people suspect, uh, suspect, he is the real author of the three murders, which, I just scrolled too far, in everybody's judgment, were done by the same person. He is a more ghoulish and devilish brute than can be found in all the pages of shocking fiction. He has ranged Whitechapel for a long time. He exercises over the unfortunates who ply their trade after 12 o'clock at night, a sway that is based on universal terror. He is a character so much like the, like the invention of a story writer that the accounts of him given by all the streetwalkers of the Whitechapel district seem like romances. The remarkable thing is, however, that they all agree in every particular. Ever since... The last murder, the name Leather Apron, has been falling repeatedly on the ears of the reporters. His expression is sinister and seems to be full of terror for the women who describe it. His eyes are small and glittering. His lips are usually parted in a grin, which is not o- which is not only not reassuring but excessively repellent. I've been described that way. <laughs> he is he is a slipper maker he is a slipper maker by trade but does but does not work i'm sorry did they just say he's a slipper maker? <laughs> i was just thinking like for real no wonder this guy's such an asshole if i was a slipper maker i'd be a dick too <laughs> Oi, what do you do for a living bruv i'm a fucking slipper maker we're not supposed to be we're not supposed to be sidetracking this much. sorry <clears throat> 
He is a slipper maker by trade, but does not work. His business is blackmailing women late at night. A number of men in Whitechapel follow this interesting profession. He has never cut anybody so far as known, but always carries a leather knife, presumably as sharp as leather knives are, are wont to be. This knife, a number of the women have seen. His name nobody knows, but all are united in the belief that he is a Jew or of Jewish parentage, his face being of a marked Hebrew type. Why'd I have to read this one? But the most singular characteristic of the man, and one which tends to identify him closely with last Friday, last Friday night's work, is a universal statement that in moving about, he never makes any noise. What he wears on his feet, the women do not know, but they all agree that he moves noiselessly. His uncanny peculiar, peculiar, please stop. I please please do this. Peculiarity to them is that they never see him or know of his presence until he is close by them. So there was some reference. I know that fucking word. I know. I I know. I got you. Um, the next day there was some similar shit. Uh. We're not going to talk about that. But that's interesting. He moves silently. Like, yeah, they, apparently. Why didn't they just start with that shit? Like, the well, guy... unless they had to, they had to bring up the fact that he was, he might be Jewish. By the way, what is a hold on? What does it say? Distinct Hebrew face. Was that what it said? Uh... His face being of a marked Hebrew type. I don't know if that pertains to like no, it's facial racist. hairstyle. No. Yeah, just, I, didn't, I, I didn't. I didn't think that someone it was like, who said. That, I bet the police were taking this interview. Like, oh, so he moves silently. Uh huh. Okay. Uh huh. He carries a knife with him. Carries a knife. All right. He okay. seems to be a horrible misogynist rapist. Yep. All right. Uh huh. Did you just fucking say he's Jewish? <laughs> no, no, no. I bet they were just like Jewish. Like, wait, why <laughs> are you writing down Jewish? I never said anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. The officers, like, I just don't like Jewish people, and it's a hunch. All right. Well, he's like, look, lady, Gosh, you're just dis- a fucking hunch. You're describing right. <laughs> Jesus. We're looking for a fucking Jewish man. But that, like, seriously, the guy moves silently, like... You that's know, pretty, that's pretty fucking scary. But that also brings some credibility to, like, the Marianne Nichols, where it seemed like he was right there. Yeah, yeah. Or this idea that maybe he could creep up on women and just, like that. Like, if not yeah. every victim was somebody he had been with throughout an interaction Yeah, perhaps with, he really did surprise some of them. It's possible, yeah, yeah. he legitimately did just, like... Or, or even if he had spent time with them and parted ways... For Maybe like came back, yeah. yeah. So like people saying, well, yeah, but I saw him, I saw them split. He I think that does back. interfere a little bit with um, Israel Schwartz's statement. Which one was? Uh, oh, the where he saw the two men. Where he one saw the two men, him. yeah, one yeah, was yeah. following him, yeah. Um, I mean, we'll 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 get into this. I'm mean, I'm just gonna keep reading. Uh, the police immediately were like coming under widespread criticism for their inability to arrest Leather Apron. Mostly because he'd been pointed out to one of them just a few days before. <laughs> so on the evening of Wednesday, the 5th of September, according to a later newspaper report, quote, the detectives showed their regret at the stupidity of the constable in failing to arrest him by eagerly searching different lodging houses in casual wards for this leather apron. Wow. We're going to skip over this. There's uh, a lot. Because that's yeah. just like star reporting on it. And there was, to be to be very frank with you, a lot of anti-Semitism in the yeah, district. Yeah, st- the star this. started a lot of anti-Semitism with its articles because of course they fucking did. Jesus, I hate that But this is so where much. we get to the actual person. Yeah, the person many, at least the police believed, were was Leather Apron. So by this time, it's apparent that the police 
had identified Leather Apron. On the 7th of September, Inspector Joseph Helson of the local J Division stated in a report to Scotland Yard that... <clears throat> the inquiry has revealed the fact that a man named Jack Pizer, alias Leather Apron, has, for some considerable period, been in the habit of ill-using prostitutes in this and other parts of the metropolis, and careful search has been and is continued to be made to find this man in order that his movements may be accounted for, although at present there is no evidence whatsoever against him. There's, the there's not a period in that sentence. I know, that's such a huge run-on sentence. Whew. There's an ellipse there. <clears throat> yeah, but still. Yeah, so Pizer is apparently the man that the woman had pointed out on Church Street on the 2nd of September. And the appearance had, quote, so terrified him that he began to fear for his personal safety, and so, far from fleeing the district, he had, in fact, gone into hiding with his family, who lived at 22 Mulberry Street, in the heart of the district. Wow. This is, this is <clears throat> around this time, at 6 a.m. on Saturday, the 8th of September, the murder of Annie Chapman took place in the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street. And word soon leaked out that a freshly washed leather apron had been found close to the body. The apron actually belonged to a son of one of the residents of the house, so it was not in any way related to the crime. However, local feeling had been whipped into such a frenzy by the reports and rumors about leather apron that the anti-Semitism, which had been simming in the district for the last few days, had now gone, give, gave way to full-scale anti-Jewish unrest. The Star reported on this, but I'd like to skip this. Yeah, I was about to say, don't make me read that. It, it, it's, it's one of the issues with this case that kind of is a reoccurring theme. Anti-Semitism comes up a lot, and it, it just completely overshadows the actual murderer. Yeah. So, um, there was, like, serious concern that, like, due to the unrest in the neighborhood, the mobs would just fucking pick someone and, and execute them. So, uh, George Sims, uh, writing in his mustard and crest column for the referee, if that is the most British thing you've ever heard on Sunday the 16th, um, basically said, uh... Well, do you want to, do you want to read the whole quote, or do you want to skip this? I, I can read it. I okay. think it, I think it's kind of important to hear this. So, it is only the careful observer, the close student of our insular, insular everyday life, the professional expert, who can thoroughly gauge the extent to which Leather Apron has impressed has impressed himself upon the public mind. Up to a few days ago, the mere mention of Leather Apron's name was a, a sufficient was sufficient to cause a panic. All England was murmuring his name with bated breath. In one instance, which is duly recorded in the police reports, a man merely went into a public house and said that he knew Leather Apron, and the customers, leaving their drinks unfinished, fled in mass, while the landlady, speechless with terror, bolted out of the back door and ran to the police station, leaving the grim, humorist in sole possession of the establishment. Till and all. Basically, he could have fucking robbed the place. Which, you know, <clears throat> Brits. Brits. Yeah. So. That's John. Oh, never mind. That's Sergeant William Thick. Sergeant William Thick. We're going to get into this guy. Uh, the press were obviously talking about Leather Apron and the impact he was having on the neighborhood and the nation at large. The police were busy. They were hunting for John Pizer. At around 9 a.m. on Monday, the 10th of September, three H Division police officers, led by Sergeant William Thick, marched along Mulberry Street, and knocked on the door of number 22. About fucking time. Wes, do you want to do, do you want to read out this conversation? I'd love to. Okay. 
Uh, who's going to be... You want me to do Sergeant Thick and you do John Pizer? Or do you want to switch? I'll, I'll do Sergeant. You do, you do okay, Pizer. Okay. okay, so the door... The door was opened by Pizer himself. All right. Just the man I want, announced Sergeant Thick. I don't have what to do that. What for? <laughs> That's the only Pass reason I wanted you to do Pizer. <laughs> or Pizer. Is it Pizer? Yeah. Pizer. You know Pfizer. what. Well, that's what. God damn it. You you do Moderna. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know what for. You know you are Leather Apron. You will have to come with me. Very well, sir. I'll go down to the station with you with the greatest of pleasure. So that was Pfizer. Pfizer. Take over. I can't <laughs> that read. That was Pfizer's response. So with that, the police officers escorted him to nearby Lehman Street Police Station, where a large body of constables with staves drawn had been deployed in readiness for the inevitable hostility from the crowd that had surrounded the station when they learned that Leather Apron was now in custody. However, so discreet were Sergeant Thick and his fellow detectives that according to the Illustrated Police News, Only a few people amongst the crowd outside seemed aware that an arrest had been made, and so quietly did the police act in Mulberry Street that few, even in the neighborhood, connected the arrest with the murder. So, this is where it gets a little weird. Sergeant Thick insisted that he had known John Pizer for 18 years under the nickname of Leather Apron. Furthermore, he was adamant that whenever people in the district spoke of Leather Apron, they were referring to Pizer. Pizer, on the other hand, stated that he had been unaware that he was known as Leather Apron until Sergeant Thick had knocked on his door on the Monday morning and called him by that name. Which I don't fucking believe for a second, because that lady literally said he's Leather Apron. Yeah, she said to his face. So, uh, while he was being taken in custody, police constables searched his house. Uh, they examined his clothing for traces of blood, found none. They found five knives, which were used by Pizer in his work as a boot finisher, several of which were stained with what appeared to be blood. However, they were subjected to chemical analysis and the supposed blood stains were actually just rust. Yep. Uh, the press show up, because of course they did. Um, it was, however, quickly becoming apparent to the reporters that few people who knew him had a bad word to say about John Pizer. I mean, he's a fucking misogynist. I've got a bad word to say about him. He sounds like an awful person, yeah. but yeah, I don't, th I don't think he's Jack the Ripper. While the journalists were questioning his family and neighbors, Pizer was being questioned at Lehman Street Police Station. He was described as looking pale and rather dejected, but he remained calm under police investigation and was able to provide cast iron alibis for the times of the murders of both Mary Nichols and Annie Chapman. Cast iron alibis? Come on. This website's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, he had spent the night of Mary Nichols' murder at Crossman's Lodging House on Holloway Road. With regard to the murder of Annie Chapman, he said... He had, in fact, returned to the family home at 22 Mulberry Street a little before 11 o'clock on the night of Thursday the 6th of September, two days before her murder. Here, his brother, Gabriel, had warned him that since he was now the object of false but widespread suspicion, it would be safer for him to remain indoors rather than face the fury of the Whitechapel mob who might tear him to pieces if they spotted him out on the streets. He had, therefore, not left the house from the Thursday night to when he was taken into custody by Sergeant Thick on the Monday morning, two days after Andy Chapman's murder. The police were able to verify both of these outcomes. I think it's... I, I give this guy fucking zero. There's no way he's Jack the Ripper. Yeah, so... Um, before that happened... Uh, I mean, look... We, I, can, we can talk about this. But, okay. Yeah, fair enough, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lady at a bar on the... Se uh, it's around 7 a.m. on the 8th of September. Uh, about 
A few streets west of Hanbury Street, where Andy Chapman's body had been discovered an hour before, was behind the bar chatting with a friend of hers, when an evil-looking man entered the premises and ordered a glass of ale. The man's appearance so terrified Miss... I'm sorry, is her name Miss Fiddymount? <laughs> we don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. She had asked her friend not to leave her alone with him. The, uh, she drew the ale and surveyed the man in the mirror and saw that his shirt was badly torn. She also <clears throat> noticed a streak of blood under his right ear as well as dried blood between his fingers. On being served the ale, the man downed it in one gulp and hurriedly left the pub. So the police brought Miss Fiddymount and her friend to Lehman Street to see if they could identify Pizer as the man who had come into the pub. They both stated he was not the man. Okay, I, I get we're, we're kind of... We're now in the part of the um, of of Leather Apron where it's telling us why he's not Jack the Ripper. That was definitely Jack the Ripper, though. That guy that, guy? that they just yeah, talked about. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That, like, this dude is one of the boldest fucking assholes that yeah, we've I talked know. about yet. He's insane. Yeah. So, I think these are, these are just more... Uh, Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll let you take care of this, though. So, there was another man who claimed to have witnessed Jack the Ripper, who apparently was not worth being brought up in the fucking two episodes I did beforehand, but fine! <laughs> anyway. His name was Emmanuel Delbast Violenia? Violenia. Uh, he was described as being half Spaniard and half Bulgarian. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> Sorry, website. Who cares? Anyway. He claimed that shortly before Annie Chapman's murder, he had seen a man and a woman arguing excitedly in Hanbury Street, where Annie Chapman was murdered, and had heard the man threaten to kill the woman by sticking a knife into her, so he was brought to the police station. At 1 o'clock the, on the afternoon of Tuesday, the 11th of September, Sergeant Thick gathered about a dozen men, the majority of whom were Jewish, in the yard of Lehman Street Police Station, and Pizer was asked to stand amongst them. Violenia was then brought in, and when he looked at him, he went up to Pizer and identified him as the man he had seen quarreling with the woman. I don't know you, you are, sorry, I don't know you, <laughs> you are mistaken, <laughs> protested Pizer. Violenia, however, was adamant that Pizer was the man he'd seen quarreling with the woman. Inspector Aberline, that badass we talked about <clears throat> yep. in episode one, then escorted Violenia to the mortuary where he was unable to identify Annie Chapman's body as that of the woman he had seen. During a three-hour cross-examination, Violenia contradicted himself so many times that his evidence was totally discredited to the point that the police lost all trust in his veracity as a witness. Which, again, is just another reason Leather Apron is not the guy. Yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty easy to... Leather Apron was let go, this. he spoke out a few, spoke out a few times, uh, and he was actually talked to in a couple inquests. Yeah, but they talked Sergeant about a bunch Fick of shit. gave some evidence, but, uh, yeah. Alright, so, Jake, uh, what, what you thinking, you know, um... Scale I think John Pizer, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'll give him a 2. If he managed to be Jack the Ripper... I give him a 1. I give yeah. him a fucking 1. So give him a 1.5. Because we're or, averaging for, us. Oh, shit, you're doing separate scores for both yeah, of us? Yeah, doing separate scores. Dude, I got the fly. Yeah, yeah fucking bounced. Oh, nice. Cool. All right, we're not going to spend nearly as much time as we did on that guy. It's just because Leather Apron was the big name from the beginning, yeah. he takes up a little bit of time. Yeah. So this guy, <clears> this next guy, Montague John Druitt... He's actually McNaughton's favorite suspect. Or favorite suspect. Uh, Melville McNaughton, uh, who is... Who the fuck is Melville? No, no, it just said... No, it didn't. Oh. Nobody knows who the fuck Ma McNaughton... We don't know who that guy is. We might get to him. Who's that guy? I don't know. I've never heard of him. Just forget about him. Oh! 
Oh, go back up. Go back up. He's an, you passed his name like six times, Jake. Yeah, but okay. You know what? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Oh, my God. Was he a witness? No. Oh, my God. Jake, I'm not cutting I'm any of this out. I'm going to up my phone. Let's start reading. Jesus. So, Druitt was the favored suspect of a man named Mel Melville McNaughton. So, Druitt worked as a barrister and, a, and supplemented his income at the bar by working as an assistant schoolmaster at a boarding school Got in it. Blackheath, southeast London, that was run by George, Mr. George Valentine. Okay, so, McNaughton was the uh, assistant commissioner of the London Metropolitan Police from 1903 to 1913. He probably worked the case. Okay. Okay. Alright. So. Uh, I read through all of this. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. This one? Yep. Okay. Oh, wait, no, not, not that one. Yeah, so in his memoranda, McNaughton lists three suspects who he claims were, quote, far more likely than Thomas Cutbush to have been Jack the Ripper. Thomas Cutbush is one that many mm -hmm. believed at the time. Uh, top of that list is a Mr. M.J. Druitt, who McNaughton describes as being, sorry, being a... Sorry, I was putting him down on our list. So, a doctor of about 41 years of age and fairly good family who disappeared at the time of the Miller's Court murder and whose body was found floating in the Thames on, 30, on the 31st of December, seven weeks after the said murder. The body was said to have been in the water for a month or more. From private information, I have little doubt, but this... But that his but, own... Oh, but that his own family suspected this man of being the Whitechapel murderer. It was alleged that he was sexually insane. Yeah, so you said in one of the previous episodes, sorry, uh, that you believed that Jack the Ripper was probably dead by the time of yeah, some of the Yeah, I was murders. just thinking that when I read this this yeah. right here, because it to me, if he was not dead, he moved far away and murders continued there. Yeah. But I, I think he's dead, personally, so... He was 21 at the time he died. Uh, so... Who? No, this guy was 41, Druid. right? Druid was 41. Dude, why the fuck does that say 57? This fucking website, man. Wait, anyway. Actually, this might just be McNaughton getting it wrong. <clears throat> okay, anyway, look. Keep going. Okay, so <clears throat> at the end of November 1888, for reasons that had not been satisfactorily established ever, Druitt was suddenly dismissed from the school he was at. A month later, his body was found floating in the Thames in Cheswick. It had been, a, it had been in the river for some time. They noted that... Uh, William H. Druitt said he lived... Uh, he lived in Bournemouth and that he was a solicitor. The deceased was his brother, who was 31 last... Per Can anyone get this guy's <laughs> fucking... Oh, wait. He was 31. I'm sorry. I did the math wrong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, that means that means Montague was wrong. Okay, still. Or not Montague. Uh, no, you're right. McNaughton. No, Montague's this guy's first name. Oh. Yeah, anyway. He's a barrister at law and an assistant master in the school of Blackheath. He had stayed with, with witness the witness at Bournemouth for a night towards the end of October. He then heard from a friend on the 11th of December that he had not been heard of at his chambers for more than a week. Uh, his brother went to London to make inquiries, and at Blackheath he found that uh, Montague had gotten into serious trouble at the school and had been dismissed. That was on the 30th of December. Witnesses... Witness had... Fuck, it, it says witness had deceased things... Witnesses? N right? No, no, no. Witness is referring to William H. Druitt. Oh. And deceased is referring to Montague. So William had Montague's things searched where he resided and found a paper addressed to him. The coroner read the letter, which was to this effect. Since Friday, I felt I was going to be like mother, and the best thing for me was to die. William 
continuing, said that Montague had never made any attempt on his life before, and his mother became insane in July last. He had no other relative. So, in July, the previous July, their mother went insane? Huh. Yeah. So, just, just, I, we'll, we'll finish up with him in a second, but just before I forget, his mom goes insane, and not even a full year later, women are dying? Yeah. Hmm. Huh. So, he does make a strong suspect for Jack the Ripper. Uh, McNaughton favored him as a suspect, which makes it a pretty compelling <clears throat> case against him. Uh, the timing of his suicide also explains why the murders may have ceased after Mary Kelly was found dead in Miller's court. And then, of course, there's McNaughton's assertion that Druitt's own family believed him to have been the Ripper. Jesus. Sorry, Jake had to go slap a fly and shake the entire desk. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, On this turn. Yeah. There's pretty strong evidence against him, or at least it seems there is, so you might just say it's him. However, um, he, while he was the case, like the main suspect for many Ripperologists for a while, the case begins to fall apart the closer you look at it. <coughs> McNaughton makes several fundamental errors in the information he provides about Druitt. Firstly, he is 10 years out with regards to Druitt's age, as Druitt was in fact 31, not 41 when he died. See? I knew it. Yeah. Secondly, although several of his family members were doctors, Druitt emphatically wasn't. McNaughton's statement that, quote, The murderer's brain gave way altogether, although his awful glut in Miller's... Oh, sorry. After his awful glut in Miller's court. And that he immediately committed suicide. It most certainly did not apply to Montague John Druitt. Indeed, his mind was sound enough in the day that, days that followed the murder of Mary Kelly for him to be actively pursuing his career as a barrister. Furthermore... He continued to work as a teacher at Valentine's School until his dismissal at the end of November, some three weeks after the death of Mary mm. Kelly. Since he probably committed suicide around that time, it would seem likely that he killed himself in reaction to his dismissal. However, the most compelling evidence for Druid's guilt is most certainly the fact that his own family apparently believed him to have been the murderer. However, this claim does not stand up to close scrutiny as it seems to be based on hearsay as opposed to hard evidence. McNaughton doesn't say that Druid's family had any concrete concrete proof that he was the Ripper, but only states that they had their suspicions about him. Those suspicions weren't necessarily correct. Furthermore, McNaughton apparently didn't hear any of their suspicions directly from the family, but, to quote his own words, From private information, I have little doubt that his family believed him to be the Ripper. This might just be third-hand hearsay. And, Inspector Aberline did not suspect him. This is probably the biggest objection to Druid as a viable suspect. Inspector Aberline is the guy in charge of the entire mm -hmm. case, and he did not think that he was the Ripper. In an interview with the Pall Mall Gazette in 1903, Aberline is quoted as saying, I know all about the story, but what does but what does it amount to? Simply this. Soon after the last murder in Whitechapel, the body of a young doctor was found in the Thames. But there is absolutely nothing beyond the fact that he was found at that time to incriminate him. He also had no known connection with Whitechapel. Nothing is known about Druitt that suggests he ever visited Whitechapel or that he had any knowledge of the area. As a result of McNaughton's suspicions, Druitt is high up on the list of Ripper suspects. Yet, the case against him is dependent on McNaughton possessing more information than he wished to reveal, and which he claimed to have destroyed so as not to cause uproar. So Montague John Druitt probably wasn't Jack the Ripper. Wes, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think with everything that they talk about, regarding his school the most, I completely agree that if he did kill himself, it was because of the school. Um, we don't know why he was dismissed, though. That's what I want to know. I think it probably had to do with his uh, 
he said he was going insane, right? In that letter, or he felt he was losing he his felt mind. Felt he was going the way of his mom. Yeah. So I feel like he. I feel like there was some sort of mental illness there, even if it started as a reaction to his mother, and it definitely was a downward, spi downward spiral. But I don't think he was out killing anybody. It just doesn't seem to fit at all. All right, so what are you giving him? I personally give this guy a one. And I, I'll give him a four. You know, I'm going to change that to a two. I think it's closer to being truth than leather Agreed. Agreed. That's, that's why I gave like, it a two. Because if he had been dismissed from the school for them thinking he might have been the Ripper... Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, that's something you would want to share with the police, but they're the Brits! Anyway. Fucking Brits. Yeah. And so that's that's Druid. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think those last two really didn't hold up too well. So we move on to our next one. Our next one's kind of short. It's Michael Ostrog. <clears throat> Wait, let me get his name real quick while you start. Just do Ostrog. All right. Go, you can start. According to Melville McNaughton's memoranda, Michael Ostrog was, quote, a Russian doctor and a convict who was subsequently detained in a lunatic asylum as a homicidal maniac. The man's antecedents were of the worst possible type, and his whereabouts at the time of the murders could never be ascertained. However, as with the other names we've not included on his list, Ostrog does seem a likely contender for the mantle of Jack the Ripper. But, McNaughton seems to have known surprisingly little about another one of his suspects. So, Ostrog was a petty thief and con artist, whose adult years consisted of several long periods of incarceration. His only recorded act of violence, however, was in a long criminal career, was when he was arrested in 1873 by police superintendent Thomas Oswald, of, on whom he pulled a revolver at the police station. One newspaper described Ostrog as having, quote, I can't see where we're at. I was looking down for a second. Oh, a clever head, a good education, and a polished manners. And he observed that he would be certain to su to succeed in almost any honest life to which he might devote himself, but who nevertheless is an in invert inveterate inveterate criminal. There you go. Thank you. Uh, however, following a particularly harsh prison sentence of almost ten years for pilfering a few books in a silver cup, the total with total of which were no more than five euros, Ostrog was released on uh, the twenty eighth of August, eighteen eighty three. He However, did, he did ten fucking years yeah. for, for stealing five. He did bucks. ten fucking years for stealing five euros. Jesus, bit. which at the time was probably more, but still. By 1887, he was up to his old tricks, and he stole a metal tankard from the Royal Military Academy in Woolwich. Good man. Uh, he was apprehended after a chase, and he was arrested and committed for trial at the Central Criminal Court or Old Bailey. During his trial, he began to show signs of insanity, and despite the belief of several police officers and doctors that he was, quote, shamming it, he was certified insane and transferred to the Surrey Pauper Lunatic Asylum in Tooting. That's fucking Tooting. Anyway, where his occupation was registered as a Jewish surgeon. Don't know, don't know why you'd include Jewish in an well, occupation. You well, fucking he, racist Jake, Brits. He's not a surgeon. He's a Jewish surgeon. I see. Get it correctly. God damn. foul-mouthed it fucking imbecile. Don't be indecent, Wes. <coughs> so, uh, he, he was discharged on the 10th of March, 1888, and as far as the police, to whom he was to report regularly as a condition of his release were concerned, he disappeared without a trace. Oh, you were supposed to show up for parole? Fuck that. Yeah, goddamn. Later that year, at the height of the Ripper Scare, when the consensus among the police detectives was that they were looking for a lunatic with medical knowledge, they began looking into all asylum releases that might coincide with the start of the murders. It may have been this search that brought Ostrog's name into the investigation, and which later encouraged McNaughton to include him on his list of three suspects. Ostrog's failure to report to the police led to his name and description being published in the Police Gazette on the 26th of October, 1888. The description concluded with the warning that, quote, 
Special attention is called to this dangerous man. I feel like you can read the small ones. Okay. Right. You, I, I appreciate right. you trying to keep me involved. Just give me, me a involved. tap when you want to read them. <laughs> all right? How about that? Fucking bitch. I think it's, bitch. I think it's funnier when you do it in the British accent. Okay, I can't lie. It. It's funny as shit. Following another appeal in the Police Gazette, Ostrog was apprehended on the 17th of April, 1891. He was certified insane and was sent to Banstead <clears throat> Lunatic Asylum, where it was reported that he was suicidal but not dangerous to others. Melville McNaughton asked the medical officer at Banstead to inform the police if Ostrog was discharged. This happened in 1893, and he promptly returned to a life of thievery, resulting in several more prison terms. He's last heard of being released from prison under license on 17th of September 1904, after which he disappears from the records. There is nothing in Ostrog's long criminal career to suggest that he was homicidal, and there are no records of him ever attacking women. Honestly, this guy's kind of based. What this guy do? Pull a revolver on a guy and steal some shit? Like <laughs> in the middle of a police station, too. Yeah. Was... What a fucking. You know what? I think he was probably shamming it. He was what probably shamming it. But ten years for five euros? Fuck it. Sham it out, man. Woo! You've earned that. Yeah. Furthermore, it seems highly probable that his failure to report to police following his release from the asylum on March 1888 was because he decided to try his luck in France, oh my god, where he was arrested under one of his many aliases and held in custody from the 26th of July 1888 to the 18th of November 1888, on which date he was brought to trial. He literally was what? not in England during the murders. Why are we talking about him? Why are we talking about this guy? He wasn't even in the fucking country. He was in, right. he was in prison in right. another country. Right. McNaughton's a fucking moron, all right? He was given a two-year prison sentence. He was heading the lunatic wing of the French prison until his release in November 1890. Right, yeah, we're done. He we're done. wasn't there for half the fucking murders! We're done. It's, we're done. It's we're on done. him. Okay. So all right. We, we Melville McNaughton's last guy, all right? This better be fucking him. it. This better... God damn it. <laughs> Fuck you, McNaughton. All right. In his 1894 memorandum, one of the... yelling. Sorry. Jake, we're, we're doing a podcast. You can't just blow people fucking... Blow their eardrums out. What's this guy's name? Kosminski? Aaron Kosminski. <laughs> Serenity now. <laughs> According to Melville McNaughton, in his 1894 memoranda, one of the three men who was more likely than Thomas Cutbush to have been Jack the Ripper, I'd like to remind you guys, one of which was out of the fucking country <laughs> for half of the murders, was, quote, Kosminski... Who, according to McNaughton, was... Oh, boy, here we go. I, I got it. I got yeah. this. Don't worry. <laughs> you have to do the accent. I can't. I can't get a through A Polish Jew, a resident in Whitechapel. This man became insane owing to many years' indulgence in solitary vices. He had a great hatred of women, especially of the prostitute class, and had strong homicidal tendencies. He was removed to a lunatic asylum about March 1889. <laughs> Kosminski is of particular interest because in addition to McNaughton, the two highest ranking officers with direct responsibility for the Jack the Ripper investigation also considered him to be a strong suspect for the Jack the Ripper murders. In 1910, Sir Robert Anderson, assistant commissioner throughout the murders, wrote in his memo- I should have fucking- God, I'm just- sorry. I should have vetted these beforehand so I could have not included Ostrog. Fuck, man. I told you. I God. told you we should have done that. I'm sorry. I, I, I Dude, literally stopped Wes us. paused us. <laughs> and we had a like minute-long conversation where we're like, all right, do we want to save time and vet some of these ahead of time? And I was like, no, it's each one's fucking short. God, why, I want to stab be, myself. Why be professional when we can waste time on guys like Ostar? Fuck, who, man. Who were in He was just a badass. He was in prison. In a French prison. In another prison. country. Yeah. 
Which, frankly, is like the worst place to be unless you're go-karting. Haha, <laughs> current events. Anyway. I missed whatever you're talking about. And oh, I'm okay, glad we'll talk I... about it later. Anyway. So, Sir Robert Anderson, assistant commissioner throughout the murders, wrote in his memoirs that, quote, Undiscovered murders are rare in London, and the Jack the Ripper crimes are not in that category. I will merely add that the one person who had ever had a good view of the murder of the murderer unhesitatingly identified the subject the instant he was confronted with him, but he refused to give evidence against him. In saying that he was a Polish Jew, I am merely stating a definitely ascertained, ascertained. fact. Yeah, what? so it looks like Sir Robert Anderson was basically saying, I'm only saying he's a Polish Jew because we, we know that for certain. I'm just saying. You we, still don't have to say it, you dick! I'm, ju I'm just saying we know he was Jewish. I'm just yeah. saying, like, if you didn't know, he's Jewish, by the way. Like, did they did they write... Uh, never mind, let's keep going. So, Anderson didn't name this suspect that he was mentioning, <laughs> but we know he was referring to McNaughton's Kaminsky when, in 1987 when Chief Inspector Donald Swanson's copy of Anderson's memoir was made public. Swanson was the officer tasked with assessing all the information on the Jack the Ripper case, and few people possessing anything like his, few people possessed anything like his comprehensive knowledge of the murders. He and Anderson became firm friends, and when Anderson's memoir, entitled The Lighter Side of My Official Life, was published, Swanson received his own personally inscribed copy. Swanson made penciled annotations to Anderson's narrative, and in doing so provided a little more information. Where Anderson talks of a witness, quote, unhesitatingly identifying their suspect, but refusing to give ev evidence against him, Swanson explains this was, quote, <clears throat> you, you know this one. Yeah, it's a short one. Because the suspect was also a Jew, and the witness would be the means of murderer being hanged, which he did not wish to be left on his mind. Basically, these fuckers are the, saying- Those Jews, they backed each other up, man. Yeah, we that's can't what they're fucking them. saying. Why is it always in the high profile... I don't fucking believe this happened. Why is it always in the high profile cases that people, like, people's worst tendencies come out? Like, can we please focus, guys? Please? Fuck, man. Why were half the people in this case just swallowing camel dick half the time? Jesus. All right. He goes on to say that following this identification, the suspect was returned to his brother's house in Whitechapel, where the city police kept him under constant surveillance. A short time later, the suspect was taken to Stepney Workhouse, and from there he was sent to Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum, where, according to Swanson, he died shortly afterwards. <clears throat> Swanson ends with the emphatic statement that Kosminski was the suspect. So we're finally going to explain who the hell Kosminski is. Yes. It is now known that the suspect in question was a man named Aaron Mordre Kosminski, 1865 to 1919, a Polish-born immigrant whose father, Abram Joseph Kosminski, was a tailor, an occupation with that Andrew's bro Aaron's brother, Isaac, would also take up. As far as it can be ascertained, Isaac arrived in London at some stage between 1871 and 1873, where he became a successful and prosperous tailor. We don't know exactly when Aaron arrived in London, but it may, be a, may have been around 1880 and 1881. We know virtually nothing about Aaron's life in London. His later medical records state his occupation as hairdresser, but it was also stated that he did, had not attempted any work for years. There's one brief glimpse of him in the public record around the time of the Whitechapel murders. In December 1889, he was one of several people who were summoned to appear at the Guildhall Court in the City of London for having unmuzzled dogs in, on a public thoroughfare. I guess they didn't abuse their dogs or something? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Weekly newspaper reported on this court appearance in its issue on Sunday, 15th of December, 1889. Aaron Kosminski was summoned for a similar offense. Police Constable Bor... Is that Borer? 
I will just call him Borer. Borer? Okay. Police Constable Borer said that he saw the defendant with an unmuzzled dog and that when asked his name, he gave that of Aaron Kosminski, which his brother said was wrong, as his name was Abrams. I mean, I'm sorry. I know I'm cutting off here, but that seems like an understandable thing for him to do. Yeah. If... You immediately are like, oh, you're Jewish? You're Jewish? Put your hands behind your back, buddy. That's the sound of the pen clicking, and he should start writing Jew, 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 Jew on the paper. Man, unmuzzled dogs. Is that a Jew thing? You you don't Wes, muzzle... careful. You don't... Please be careful. <laughs> you don't abuse your dog. Sorry, I am in character right now. I apologize. Yes. Yeah, Is that a Jewish thing? You don't abuse your dogs? What the fuck? Like, that's... What is wrong okay. with Brit... Sorry. So anyway... Defendant said that the dog was not his, and his brother said it was found more convenient here to go by the name of Abrams, but his name was Kim- was Kosminski. What the fuck is that name? You you read that name. You, Sir Polydor de Kaiser? 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 If you couldn't tell, no, we did not read these ahead. Yeah. Yes, we were speed reading through this. <laughs> anyway... I, I don't want to oh read this, Oh, my dude. God. I don't want to read this. Oh, my God. Please okay. don't make me read this. Sir Polydor de Kieser imposed a fine of 10 shillings and costs, which the defendant would not pay as it was the Jewish Sunday, and it was not right to pay Monday money on Sunday. He was given till Monday to pay. That's honestly, like, It is a reasonable most, thing. Yeah, that's, that's the most, like... Accommodating the I British just, have been this I whole just, time. I just, I don't, I don't think I can read any more quotes. Yeah. Because... Out of context, I sound like a horrible person. Uh, okay. By mid-1890, he was displaying symptoms of mental illness and was admitted to Mile End Old Town Workhouse on the 12th of July, 1890. His address was given as 3 Scion Square. His stay on this occasion was a relatively short one, and he was discharged three days later on the 15th of July, 1890. He was readmitted in early 1891, his abode this time being given as 16th Greenfeld Street, which was the home of his brother-in-law, Morris Lubnowski, who was married to Aaron's sister, Matilda. This time, he was certified as insane, and on the 7th of September, 1891, he was transferred to the Middlesex County Lunatic Asylum at Colney Hatch. That's the 7th of February. Did I not say that? You said September. <laughs> Oops. 7th of February. My, my bad. So the admission book gives his age as 26, his occupation as hairdresser, the supposed cause of his identity is listed as unknown, though self-abuse was later added, and his nearest known relative is known as Wolf Abraham's brother, 8 Lion Square, just Lion Square, I don't know why I read that as Lion, anyway, Commercial Road E1. Significantly, the admission book states he was not a danger to others, which, if there was a certainty that he'd been Jack the Ripper, would be something of a major omission. So this guy, it sounds like, yeah, he does have some mental illness going on, but it almost seems like a lot of it's just self-inflicted. This this guy doesn't seem to be very violent, Jake. I, I'm not going to yeah, be... Yeah, the admission gonna, book... Jake, I'm not going to be that guy, but... Is he in this because he's Jewish? Yeah. yeah. So the admission book also lists the following facts about him, which are attributed, quote, to a medical man. So I guess he's a medical man because he does these things. Anyway... He declares that he is guided and his movements altogether controlled by an instinct that informs his mind. He says that he knows the movements of all mankind. He refuses food from others because he is told to do so, and he eats out of the gutter for the same reason. So he believes he is moving... He hears a voice in his head. Yeah. 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 Okay, so anyway, he... he... There's also some talks about how he is apparently very dirty and he needs to be... will not be washed. And he took up a knife and threatened the life of his sister. So... Uh, 
Kosminski would spend just over three years at Colney Hatch Asylum, where he was described at various times as being, quote, extremely deluded and morose, quote, rather difficult to deal with on account of the dominant character of his delusions, quote, incoherent, apathetic, excitable, quote, indolent, but quiet and clean in habits, and, quote, dull and vacant. On the 19th of April, 1894, he was transferred to Leavesden Asylum, where he would spend the remaining 25 years of his life dying there on the 24th of March, 1919. So, I don't understand... Just to point out, there's nothing here to say that it, they didn't provide any evidence or reasoning why this guy's in the fucking file. So we're just left to assume it's because he's fucking Jewish and crazy. So he was probably schizophrenic, delusional, paranoid, he, no, he was, and incoherent. He was absolutely schizophrenic. Yeah. And the problem, the the problem back then is there were there was no name for anything. It was just insane. And so you you know they're throwing an asylum, but. And and at the time when this happens, that's a normal age for when people develop it. So it's obvious, like, this guy was a schizophrenic. Yeah. He didn't seem to be dangerous in any sense. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll get into this. Uh, Swanson was wrong about Kosminski's fate. He didn't die shortly after being, after being admitted to Colney Hatch Asylum. In fact, he lived about 25 years. And that was after he was transferred to Leesden Asylum in 1894, where he died in 1919. Uh, throughout his entire period of confinement, Eric Kosminski was never classed as homicidal, and it is specifically stated in his records that he was not a danger to others. Some of the notes state that he was excitable, but the only mention of his being violent was that he once grabbed a chair and made to strike an attendant with it. <clears throat> so, the only real proof for him is that Aaron and Anderson and, and Swanson believed it was him. Okay, I and give them I give them zero credit. They have given us three suspects that are obviously not Jack the Ripper. Uh. Yeah. yeah, this is a zero in my book. A zero point, point fucking negative zero. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So we're going to get on to the next one. George Jesus. Chapman. All right, hold on. Oh, what are we giving, what are we giving Kuzminski and Ostrog? Zero? A zero. Yeah, no, there, zero. there's yeah. no way in hell there. Oh, wait, I've seen this guy's face. Okay. Yeah, George Chapman we're going to talk about. So. By the way, now we're getting this into is legitimate suspects. This is Inspector Aberline's favorite suspect. Which is this why. Is his, this which, is the one he believes. Which is why we like this one. Yeah. Well, maybe. We'll see. <clears throat> so, Severin Klausowski qualified as a junior surgeon in Poland in 1887. Later that year, or early the next, he came to London and found work as an assistant hairdresser. In October 1889, he married Lucy Baderski, and by 1890 was working at a barber shop in the basement of the White Hart Pub in George Yard, off Whitechapel High Street. The couple moved to America in 1891, where he established himself as a barber in Jersey City. Following a violent argument, a now pregnant Lucy... Pregnant, sorry, pregnant, Lucy returned to England, where on the 15th of May, 1892, she gave birth to a baby girl. A few weeks later, Klosowski also returned to London, and the couple were briefly reunited. But, in 1893, he found another woman, co coincidentally named Annie Chapman, and they lived together until she left him in 1894. Klosowski, however, acquired a lasting keepsake from their relationship, as he adopted her name and from then on was known as George Chapman. His next lover was Mary Spink, who he claimed to have married. However, she died on Christmas Day, 1897. His next wife, Bessie Taylor, died on 13th of September, 1901. Chapman married again. Then this wife, Maud March, all, Marsh, sorry, also died on the 22nd of October, 1902. Her family sought the opinion of their own doctor, who became suspicious. Yeah. The bodies of his first two wives were exhumed, and significant traces of poison were found. Chapman was arrested, found guilty of murder, and was executed on the 7th of April, 1903. 
Following his conviction, there were suggestions in the press that he might also have been responsible for the Whitechapel murders. So, a journalist from the Pall Mall Gazette sought the opinion of the by then retired Inspector Frederick George Aberline. Let's, Let's fucking, fucking clap go. for this guy. All right, Jake, that's too loud. Sorry. You're even, that even hurts my ears. Sorry. It's an impressive clap, though. Aberline admitted that he had never harbored any suspicions against Chapman in, relating to, in relation to the Jack the Ripper murders until the Attorney General had made his opening statement at his trial. Since then, however, he had been, quote, so struck with the remarkable coincidences in the two series of murders that he had not been able to think of anything else for several days past. The Gazette quoted Aberline as observing that, quote, there are a score of things which made one believe that Chapman is the man. These included having, his having studied surgery and the Whitechapel murders having been, according to Aberline, the work of an expert surgeon. Aberline was also struck by the facts that Kolozowski's arrival in England coincided with the beginning of the murders, that on arrival he lodged in George Yard where the first murder was committed, and that the murders ceased in London when Chapman went to America, quote, while similar murders began to be perpetrated in America after he landed there. However, Aberline got some things wrong. Everybody does. It's all right, Aberline. Chapman did not have surgical training. There is consider... Uh, sorry, did have surgical training, there's considerable debate over whether or not the Ripper possessed surgical knowledge, and the murders cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, be described as the work of a, quote, expert surgeon. Although Chapman arrived in London around the time the murders began, so did thousands of other immigrants. Chapman didn't begin work at the Whitehart Pub in George Yard until 1890, around two years after the first murder. Although the murders did cease one chap once Chapman left for America, this could easily have been coincidence. However, no similar series of murders coincided with his arrival there. So, the major objection against Chapman is the, that the killer would brutally eviscerate his victims with a frenzied violence shown in the Jack the Ripper killings. Yep. But Chapman poisoned his wives. Yeah, I was if just thinking If he truly had that. the homicidal fury of Jack the Ripper, would he poison his wives? I, I personally, I don't think he's the guy. We, we've just finished going over him. I don't think he's the guy, but I think there's a terrifying coincidence that yep. there were two serial killers in the same fucking area at the same time well Abelheim does contend one more thing he says that quote a man who could watch his wives being slowly tortured to death by poison as he did was capable of anything so I I understand Abelheim's ideology there and it is just a I'll give this guy a five I was gonna say it could go either way I, I was about to say, I can give him a five. I can give Because five. if something were to come up that shows, yeah, he was way more violent than people initially thought, I'd put this guy way higher. Yeah. The the poisoning kind of discredits it a little bit, but that is still incredibly, uh, incredibly um, significant that he's, yeah. he's a legitimate serial killer. There's no arguing that. So we're going to talk about Thomas Cutbush. This guy is the one that everyone's been talking about, okay? Wait, what do you mean, everybody? Uh, remember how McNaughton said there were three people he believed more likely than Thomas Cutbush? Oh, okay, yeah. so this is a guy that gets, like, blamed for it, basically, by the well, press? Well, you'll see. On November 2008, <clears throat> the files of Thomas Cutbush were made public at the Reading Records office. Whereas these files don't contain any earth-shattering revelations that directly linked Thomas Cutbush with the Jack the Ripper killings, they certainly provide an intriguing insight into a man who was evidently a favored media suspect in the mid-1890s. Cutbush was named as Jack the Ripper in a series of articles that appeared in the Sun newspaper in February 1894. The articles went into great detail about the Whitechapel murderer, although they didn't actually name Cutbush in those articles. As a result of those articles, Melville McNaughton composed his memorandum, which for many years formed the basis for Jack the Ripper research. 
In the memoranda, McNaughton states emphatically that the Whitechapel murderer had five victims and five victims only. It is a result of this statement that we have our so-called canonical five victims. Mary Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine E. Dowes, and Mary Kelly. I personally believe Martha Tabram should be added to that, but whatever. I think she should at least be highly speculated to be a part of that. Mary, now, Mary Kelly, that was the horrific, like, that was the one where we read and we were like, we need to just, like, yeah. we couldn't even read that, I, right? I, I read through that the first time because I did I read, read that. that. No, I, I read yeah, through it. But I did not want to say it. I know, that's what I'm thinking, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I... I don't believe anybody passed Mary Kelly to be yeah, a, a, a ripper victim. But I believe no Martha Tapper might have been an early one. I do too. I think that's one to consider. So, <clears throat> McNaughton provides a great deal of argument to support the fact that the Sun article was wrong and that Thomas Cutbush was not Jack the Ripper. As a result, Cutbush has long been dismissed as a serious contender for the mantle of the Whitechapel murder. I might just skip this. Uh, but he goes McDon on to talk about Drut Ostrog and the other... And, uh, and, yeah, which uh, we know he was wrong about. He was dead wrong! So... See what I did it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, that's pretty dark, but whatever. That was just um, saying. Yeah, he mentions uh, Montague Druitt, Michael Ostrog, and Kosminski. All of which he was wrong about. So fucking um, wrong. All right, so having faithfully transcribed the Thomas Cutbush files at the records office, I would like to present below the information that these files contain. I'm reading directly from the website. This from is the a quote, website. Yeah. <clears throat> no, this is not a quote. This is just... The From the website, so we're quoting yeah. the website. The intention here is not to accuse Thomas Cutbush of being Jack the Ripper, but rather put on record the known information about him. The files most certainly disapprove one thing that both the Sun article and McNaughton wrote about Cutbush in the memoranda. The Sun article claimed that Cutbush had caught venereal disease from a prostitute and that res the resulting delusions were what led him to kill prostitutes. McNaughton conceded that Cutbush had, quote, apparently contracted syphilis about 1888 and since at the time he had led an idle and useless life, his brain seems to have become affected and he believed that people were trying to poison him. Oh my God. God damn it, John. Jesus. Oh, Jake. That guy, oh my god, he got herpes, and now he's running around naked trying he's to kill so people. He's so lazy! <laughs> <laughs> However, Cutbush's admission documents and his asylum records made no mention of syphilis or venereal disease. Indeed, the records of criminal lunatic number eight, sorry, X32007, Thomas Cutbush, state that the cause of his insanity was hereditary, whilst also mentioning that, according to his aunt, Clara Hain, the cause was overstudy. So according to the records, he was not suicidal, but he was a danger to others. This is the first guy yeah. that we're actually talking about that I was know. genuinely considered a danger to others. In his notes after admission, there's a report dated April 24th, 1891, which states that Cutbush was, quote, A man of average height and slight build, expression vacant, eyeballs protruding, is restless and incoherent in conversation, stated this morning that he had often been drunk, though not a drinker, afterwards that he had never been drunk, Th through drink as he had been a total abstainer for years that the charges brought against him were absolutely false and that he had no recollection of doing anything to cause such charges to be brought against him he has i gotta move this he has more the appearance of an imbecile than any other kind of insane person states that he feels sulfur rise in his throat from a cavity in the left lung that he does not taste it or smell it or feel it but, quote, know that it is so, and that, in consequence, he has tuberculosis. That he suffered from the palpitation of the heart some time ago, but not lately. States he was at Peckham House Asylum, quote, on a visit, for a few days after he was charged with this crime. He states that there is no insanity in his family, although he thinks both his mother and aunt are, quote, bad enough to want care in the other, in the other way of being eccentric. 
says he often suffered from fits of uncontrollable, uncontrollable temper. His tongue is tremulous. Complains of slight headache this morning, which he states is unusual. This guy is all over the fucking place. So, another report, oh, uh, dated the 20th of May, 1891, told how Cutbush, quote, struck another patient, Gilbert Cooper, suddenly and without cause, whilst in the gallery. He states that Cooper caught hold of him in the back of the neck with his fingers. This, the attendant... In charge. Why is there a period? I don't know. This, the attendant in charge, states is quite untrue, as he, the attendant, was talking to Cooper at the time. Will not speak to me or explain the reason for doing so in any way. Stated at first that Cooper annoyed him. Is very dull, excitable, uncontrollable, and has the appearance of an imbecile. Why are we going back to that? I don't know. Why do they Why do they keep pointing out that he's a fucking moron? I don't they, care. They, yeah, they keep saying he's stupid. So basically, yeah. he just fucking hit this guy out of nowhere. Yeah. So another uh, August 24th, 1891 report, it was reported that Cutbush had been, quote, Well conducted lately, but requires careful supervision. No improvement mentally. 16th of March, 1892. Violent and very destructive at times, is generally dull and apathetic and makes no attempt to answer when spoken to. Appears to be an imbecile. Is this the same person or like Probably, four different yeah. people? Like, this guy's fucking stupid. Right. April 15th, 1893. Becoming more and more demented. Scarcely ever speaks to anyone with the exception of the principal attendant. Refuses to see any of his, rel- of his relations when visited by them. Bodily health, somewhat better, has been taking cod, cod liver, liver oil. oil for some time. April 22nd, 1894. Demented, dirty, and degraded in habits. Stubborn, unoccupied, and silent. Makes grimaces and... At, at, attitudinuses? Attitude? That's not a fucking word. He when gave addressed. an attitude when addressed. Yeah. Physical health, satisfactory. 21st of March, 1895. Dirty, destructive, degraded, and demented. Health, very good. <laughs> what? All right. 25th of July, 1896. Rather cleaner in habits. Although? Otherwise, there is no change in his mental state. Physical health, good. 20th of March, 1898. Demented, absurd, and incoherent. August 1st, 1902. Very dirty and gives much trouble. Constantly noisy at night. Demented and incoherent. He died on the 15th of July, 1903. The only evidence is that this guy was fucking crazy. And just, that the, this the just, news at the yeah, time was This is just another... Uh, I, I gotta give this guy a, like a one and a half. Because, yeah, I guess he could. But the idea of him doing so just... I feel like the only reason I could give him more than zero is because he seems to be so back and forth and just... Um, what's the word? Spontaneous? Yeah. I guess it's possible but come on i'll give him a two yeah i just i can't he spends so much time in an asylum like it just doesn't it doesn't seem to fit like yeah it kind of makes sense timeline wise but at the same time there's just nothing that seems to really point like he's not violent towards women he doesn't have a history of it beforehand yeah he's just he's just a just a crazy dude who looks like a fucking idiot i guess i think yeah i think this was just a a a mass hysteria thing yeah all right okay so one of the more talked about recent jack the ripper suspects is dr francis tumblety whose name was suggested by inspector littlechild so before and during the jack the ripper murders chief inspector john littlechild 
1847 to 1923, was head of the Metropolitan Police's special Irish branch, a post he held from 1883 uh, to through. through 1893. God damn, work on your fucking grammar. <laughs> Fuck. You're the guy who's reading their their birth dates and dates of death. Look, dude, it's included, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't filter as well if I don't actually filter it all ahead right, of time. All right, fine, go like, ahead. Have you noticed how when I was writing and like filtering and working oh, through, it was like September 5th, 1888. I now noticed. it's the 5th of September. Yep. Fuck, I hate the Brits. Anyway. <laughs> Why is so, it backwards? I mean, it's understandable in Australia because they're all upside down. <laughs> Should I pause? No, 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 no. <laughs> that was so fucking dumb. Okay, so Little Child, as far as we know, had very little to do with the Jack the Ripper investigation itself, but he was a high-ranking officer in the Metropolitan Police. He probably would have had frequent contact with the likes of Dr. Robert Anderson and Chief Inspector Swanson, the two people who thought it was Cutbush. Um, or, or, sorry, they thought it was... Uh, yeah, the was three people. Well, uh, this guy so already... They thought it was George Chapman. Yeah, this... No, that was Aberline. No, they no. thought it was Kosminski. Yeah, this, this guy already holds more water because he's not them. So, in 1913, the journalist George Sims, who we've talked about, mm -hmm. was sniffing around for information on a Jack the River suspect. He duly wrote to John Littlechild to ask if he had any knowledge of, doc of a Dr. D being suspected of having committed the Whitechapel murders. Sims was evidently referring to the Ripper suspect Montague John Druitt, whose name, or at least hints of it, had been circulating through police circles for the previous 15 or so years. Why is this called Quack the Ripper? <laughs> Alright. Little Child wrote back to say that he had never heard of a Dr. D ever being mentioned as a suspect, but he then went on to suggest a suspect who, in England at least, had not been mentioned up to that point. Little Child wrote, Amongst the suspects, and, and to my mind a very likely one, was a Dr. T who was an American quack named Tumblety. He went on to inform Sims that Tumblety had been arrested for, quote, unnatural offenses, and that he had been remanded on bail, that he had subsequently jumped bail and escaped to Bologna? Yeah. Bologna? Is that Bologna? <laughs> we'll call it. <laughs> it's, it is now. It's Bologna, yeah. <laughs> After which nothing was ever heard of him again. Indeed, according to Littlechild, It was believed he committed suicide, but certain it is that from the time the Ripper murders... From that time. Oh, from that time the Ripper murders came to an end. So, Dr. Francis Tumblety had been arrested and charged with acts of gross indecency with a number of males. Oh, fuck. God damn, we were doing so well with I this know. one. I know. On the 7th of November, 1888. <laughs> so, he was just gay. <laughs> God damn. are all assholes. Dude, we can, I, I guarantee you, we're going to get through all of these. Hold on. On the last yeah, one, it's like, this guy owned eight knives <laughs> and killed four women yeah. before this. It's going to be like, but hey, this guy was gay. <laughs> Could have been this guy! Jake. <laughs> I tell you what, you suck one dick. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd he call him an American quack? Because he was Fuck. gay. Dude, okay. it's four in the morning. We Oh, God. Oh, I'm lightheaded, this man. This is rough. All right, well, okay. let's keep going. Yeah, so Little Child stated in his letter to Sims that he'd been remanded on bail, which he did indeed skip and that he had it for baloney. However... Contrary to Little Child's assertion that he had disappeared and probably committed suicide, Tumblety was most certainly heard from again. Having made it to Bologna, Tumblety sailed to New York and on landing, soon had the American press hot on his trail in relation to his possible connection to the Whitechapel murders. From the moment of his arrival in New York, the New York Police Department also took an interest in him, and Tumblety was kept under surveillance by Inspector Burns of the New York Police. 
questioned by journalists as he kept watch on Tumblety's lodging about whether or not Tumblety would, have re would be returning to London to be questioned about the Jack the Ripper murders, Burns responded that, quote, There is no proof of his, of his complicity in the Whitechapel murders, and the crime for which he was under bond in London is not extra... Jake, I like this Inspector Burns guy. I do too. Why are we, let's move on. This guy did not kill them. Let's skim through real quick and see. Oh, this guy mentions he was Ooh, gay. This guy he collected medical specimens. Never mind. Actually, this guy made press allegations. Those who knew him thought him guilty. Okay. I heard, I heard right. he was one right. of them. One gays. woman who most he certainly didn't think he was capable of his crimes was his New York landlady, who said that Thank Dr. Tobley was a perfect gentleman. He wouldn't hurt anybody. Fairly weak case. The police didn't suspect him. Okay. Why good on you, Inspector Burns. Why, why right. would you hold on, Wes? Him. Let me uh, let me just do a quick run through of our uh, please of our, of our suspects so far. Jew, uh, <laughs> Jew, Jew, Jew. Uh, white Jew. murder. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Uh, crazy dude. Maybe Jewish. I can say that. Why not? <laughs> All right. Gay, and now James Maybrick. All right, well, hold on. We ran down. <laughs> it's so funny, because we talked about John Wall. In a Wes, just write gay. Don't you write it over. <laughs> just write gay. Maybe question mark? <laughs> oh, so anyway. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, oh, man, so we're talking about... So... Okay. okay, all right, what, what's this guy's name? I just want to mention, we talked about John Law in a different episode. We gave him a seven. Everybody <laughs> in this episode, two. Uh, you, uh, two and one, four and two, zero, 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 five and five, two and one. Cause, just because Aberline thought it was him. Fuck, man. What's this guy's name? Uh, <laughs> <This is> <laughs> James Maybrick. <laughs> Do you think we'll actually talk about a likely suspect? I don't know, dude. Maybe this James Maybrick guy was like polyamorous or something. Who fucking knows? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! We're halfway down talking about his wife, and then they're gonna mention his husband too. It's like, oh, fuck! Yeah. <laughs> fuck, the Brit sucks oh. so hard. Okay. Dude, we're like right. halfway through, we haven't named a decent suspect at all. John Law isn't even fucking mentioned on the website, but they've got a whole He's fucking article to a guy who was just gay! Dude, they have an article for a guy who was in prison in a different country yeah. oh for 90% of the murders. Holy shit. I've lost all respect for the guy who does this website. Dude, okay. What is this website? Okay. We I want afterwards I want to look at the polling and just see what people think. Yeah. And just see how wrong people yeah. are. Goddamn. Okay. In 1992, Michael Barrett, a former Liverpool scrap metal merchant, produced a journal which he claimed had been given to him by a friend, Tony Devereaux, in a pub the previous year. <clears throat> Although the author of the diary doesn't actually identify himself by name, it is quite obvious from various personal references and from other information contained with the, in the journal that the diarist is meant to be the Liverpool cotton merchant, James Maybrick. Maybrick died in May 1889, and short, shortly after his death, his wife Florence was arrested and charged with murdering him by poisoning him with arsenic. Oh. Wes has stood up. We might have one. Jake, I think this is my guy. So, in the diary, the author makes the claim that he had seen his wife, whom he calls the bitch or the whore, in <laughs> That's the case our, of the diary. This is our guy, Jake. This is our guy. With her unnamed lover in the Whitechapel district of Liverpool. The subsequent rage of the experience following this sighting sent him on, on a murderous rampage in the Whitechapel district of London, in the course of which he mutilated and killed five prostitutes. <laughs> Jake, it's literally... The journal 
contains Say a somewhat long-winded description of the murders before ending with the assertion, quote, I give my name that all know of me, so history do tell what love can do to a gentleman born. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Oh. Okay, you don't get to pull the fucking nice guy card if you just ripped apart five women, dude. Wait a minute. It, it is very possible this is not a real deal. I think this is... Yeah. I think this could be fake. Damn so, it. Up until the emergence of the diary, there had never been any suggestion that James Maybrick <clears throat> may have been Jack the Ripper, and the only real evidence against him as a suspect is his supposed confession in the pages of his diary. So his viability as a Jack the Ripper suspect comes down to whether or not he wrote the diary, and if he did, does what he writes about his crimes correspond with a known fact? Oh boy. The Ripperologist. Dividing the Ripperologist? You're not Ripperologist if you just point at gay people and go, BAD! Like, Jake, okay. You're going to blow your drums out this episode. Yeah. The amount of times, I'm so mad. The amount of times I've seen this spike <laughs> above a reasonable I'm level. I'm so mad. Like, that is a thick-ass line that you just <laughs> produced. The first reaction from experts on examining the diary was encouraging. Several of them agreed that, if nothing else, it was most certainly of the correct period to have been written by James Maybrick. But they also made it plain that a far more thorough forensic analysis was needed in order to establish exactly when the journal was written. And it was at this point that the scientific data became somewhat blurred and contradictory. Oh, boy. Wes, I see you read ahead a little bit. He's left. He's gone. Okay, so what Wes just read is... A further setback to establishing the authenticity of the diary came when Michael Barrett informed the Liverpool Post that he had, in fact, forged the diary. Fuck, man. Are they going to involve... Can we include a real suspect, please? However, he then withdrew his confession. Oh, of course he did. And in addition, his wife, from whom he was now, who was by then separated, stated that the diary had been, had in fact been in her family's possession since the Second World War. Okay, sure it has. So the jury uh -huh. is still very much out on whether or not the diary's authenticity has been signed. Was it also proven. sanded down to look older? Jesus Christ! Can we just have a real? All right, let's, let's look at the details within the diary. Okay. Uh. Fucking threw the pencils. Never mind. Let's not. Because the website just says, so how about the actual details of the crimes that are contained within the pages of the diary? Do they demonstrate that the author had indeed had first-hand knowledge that could have been only known to the perpetrator of the Jack the Ripper crimes? Well, in a word, no. Jake, you have pencils in here? Uh, no, that's my only pencil, man. Did you break my pencil? I lost it. Oh, no, wait. What do you mean you lost it? Where'd I it go? It. I threw it somewhere. And out of reach. I found oh. another one. Oh. And it matches the binder. And I almost gave it. folder? Anyway. All right. So it is apparent on close scrutiny of the diary that many of the descriptions of the crimes, the crimes that are actually taken from press reports and later accounts of the Jack the Ripper murders. No, we're done. And that because of this, the journal replicates some of the widespread inaccuracies and errors with regards to the Mary Kelly murders. I could not physically get through that before Wes changed it. It's fake. Okay. This one's called Walter Sickert, case closed. So either that means we caught him or... <laughs> what yeah. do you think, Jake? Hey, guys, we caught Jack the Ripper. So, the name oh of Walter Sickert God. has been linked to the Jack the Ripper murders by several authors, and over the years, his role in the killings has been said to have varied enormously. According to some authors, he was an accomplice in the Whitechapel murders, whilst others have depicted him as knowing who was responsible for the crimes and duly <coughs> informing on them. But, according to the crime novelist Patricia Cornwell in her 2002 book, Portrait of a Killer, Jack the Ripper Case Closed, Sickert was in fact the man who carried out the crimes that became known as the Jack the Ripper murders. Okay, uh, this novel is to Cornwell. She was rich. Cool. I don't see what that has to do with anything. Jake, she had the fucking money. That's what. Oh, she applied modern forensic techniques to the Jack the Ripper case, and in doing so, <clears throat> she set out to do that. Yeah. Uh, if you guys couldn't tell, she believed it was this we've guy. We've lost all respect for the. We're give. We've given up. We don't even know what we're doing now. That we're just what? glazing through what? it. What? Wes, have you read this? 
What the fuck? According to Cornwell's theory, Walter Sickert had been made impotent by a series of painful childhood operations for a fistula of the penis. Okay, hold on. I know this says case closed, but if this is true, is this our guy? Mm -hmm. uh, go, go ahead, keep okay. going. I won't give up just yet. She said this impotency, impotency had scarred him emotionally and had left him with a pathological hatred of women. Yeah, sure, it's their fault you can't get it up, bro. Which, in time, led him to carry out a series of murders in the East End of London, which became known as the Jack the Ripper murders. Doubts were then raised about her theory when it was pointed out that St. Mark's Hospital, where the operations on the young sick were supposedly performed, specialized in rectal as opposed to genital fistulas. Basically, they dealt with fistulas of the ass, not of the dick. So, it also pointed out... It was also pointed out that the evidence suggests that Sigurd was anything but impotent. Indeed, his first wife had divorced him, citing his adultery in her petition for a divorce. In addition, he's believed to have had several mistresses and is thought to have fathered at least one illegitimate child. Okay, so he wasn't impotent. Why are we did including he, this? Did he possess a pathological age of women? No. A in portrait fact, of a killer. He seemed to kind of like women. Cornwall cites a series of Sickert's paintings that were inspired by the murder in 1908 of a Camden Town prostitute by the name of Emily Dimmock. According to Patricia Cornwall's hypothesis, the series of pictures bears a striking resemblance to the post-mortem photographs of the victims of Jack the Ripper. So he was a painter. So, yeah, he was clearly fascinated by murder and in finding different ways in which to depict the menace of the crime and the criminal, but I don't think that proves he's a murderer. And neither does the website. Why, so is, why he is he here? listed? Why is he here? God, it I'm... literally said case closed and we read through this. What is fucking what is wrong, wrong with us? us? Did he write right. the Jack the Ripper? Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. This, wait. This, might be, this might be important. Oh. Did he write the Jack the Ripper letters? Uh, she says that he did. Authorities in the case, uh, none of them were actually the killer, <clears throat> is what the authorities believed. Yeah, they believe that whoever wrote it did not kill it. We got through that last time, right? Oh, DNA testing. Cornwall also found a DNA test of, on numerous stamps and envelopes which she believed that Sigurd had licked... Okay, all right, hold on. Wait a minute. This is stretching it up. Jake, get a, Jake, get a couple mistresses, all right? And we compare know how the his DNA to looks. that found on. Okay, I'm just saying, on, they've man. got a lot of DNA hold going on, man. from his tongue. Hold on, You can't say that, man. Why not? You can't. Okay. And according. Uh, oh, shit. Interestingly, a possible match was found with the stamp on the Dr. Openshaw letter. Critics, however, pointed out that DNA comparisons focused on mitochondrial DNA, which could be shared by anything from between one and ten percent of the population. So it couldn't have. Been, it was probably not unique to Sigurd. <sighs> Another intriguing find was that the Doctor Openshaw letter, two other Jack the Ripper letters, and eight letters penned by Walter Sigurd were all written on paper that bore the watermark of the Aberdeen paper manufacturer Alexander Pre and Sons. But the paper was widely available, and the Sigurd letters were written between 1885 and 1887, and that he probably wasn't using that paper in 1888. Why are we talking about this? No, no, we're done. This guy didn't kill him. This guy's not real. Fake so guy. So what's, what's the problem with this guy? Like, Char wait, wait. Charles, Charles Cross, Cross or, or Charles, Charles Lechman. Okay. Yeah, so you remember this guy? This no. guy was the one who found Mary Nichols, who was probably there at the time of the murder. Is this because he's fucking Jewish? I don't think he was Jewish. Basically, oh, was I, he, think, I thought, he, I thought I that think was the, the one by the, the only Jewish reason, club. The only, oh, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. The only reason they because say it might have been him is because he was there hold at on, the hold time. Hold on, hold on. Alright, who's this guy Charles again? Cross. Cross. Nope, you just wrote nope. Charles Cross, yeah. So, yeah, he was born as, uh, well, he was formerly known as Charles Cross. He was actually born uh, Charles Allen Leshmere. Uh, just, yeah, he was the local carman who found skin. Mary Nichols. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least that's the story he told the police. 
because uh, the coroner and everyone believed him. In 2012, several newspapers carries articles claiming that far from being an innocent bystander who had simply stumbled upon the body of Mary Nichols, Cross was in fact the man who had murdered her, and that his subsequent statements were a tissue of lies aimed at throwing the police off his trail. We know he was in the area. Okay. And he said some stuff in the... Oh. Yeah, Robert Paul. What's According to those who favor Cross as a suspect, <clears throat> Robert Paul actually interrupted Cross in the act of murdering Mary Nichols, and far from standing looking at the body, Cross was trying to cover up some of the wounds on the body that he himself had inflicted when Paul encountered him in Buck's Row. The theory goes that on hearing Robert Paul's approach, Cross had to think quickly, and so rather than flee the scene and potentially draw suspicion to himself as the perpetrator, he chose instead to remain at the scene and feign shock. <clears throat> Basically, they're like, Charles Cross sus? So they're saying that he oh, killed her. We can actually then... read Robert Paul's recollection okay, of what happened. Actually, that, let me actually read this shit, because yeah. this is something yeah. that is somewhat relevant to the case. Okay, we're getting back on track here, people. <clears throat> oh, wait, uh, just to reiterate, this is Robert Paul. Robert Paul, yeah. It was exactly a quarter to four when I passed up Bucks Row to my work as a car man uh, for Covent Garden Covent Market. Garden Market yeah. It was dark, and I was hurrying along, when I saw a man standing where the woman was. He came a little towards me, but as I knew the dangerous character of, of the locality, I tried to give him a wide berth. Basically, it's a dangerous area to try to avoid him. Yeah. Few people like to come up and down here without being on their guard, for there are such terrible gangs about. There have been many knocked down and robbed at that spot. The man, however, came towards me and said, Come and look at this woman. I, found, I went and found the woman lying on her back. I laid hold of her wrists and found that she was dead and the hands cold. It was too dark to see the blood about her. I thought that she had been I thought that she had been outraged and had died in the struggle. I was obliged to be punctual at my work, so I went on and told the other man I would send the first policeman I saw. I saw one in Church Row, just at the top of Bucks Row, who was going round calling people up, and I told him what I had seen, and I asked him to come. But he did not say whether he should but he did not say whether he should come or not. He continued calling the people up, which I thought was a great shame, after I had told him the woman was dead. The woman was so cold that she must have been dead for some time, and either she had been lying there left to die, or she must have been murdered somewhere else and carried there. If she had been lying there long enough to get so cold as she was when I saw her, it shows that no policeman on the beat had been down there for a long time. If a policeman had been there, he must have seen her, for she was plain enough to see. Her bonnet was lying about two feet from her head. I think the only way this contradicts what Cross said is the idea that she. Well, hold on. Didn't isn't Marianne Nichols was alive at that time, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. I think so, I think he's just wrong with yeah. his assessment that she'd been dead for a while. I think that that even might be him trying to cover up from the fact that like no, she definitely wasn't alive or anything. Okay, so he gave the police a false name. That's the evidence against him. We'll move on. I think I, I honestly. Oh, and think, he was a local man. Yeah, I and think this is route to work. Okay, I think that um, Cross was. I think his statement is more like I don't think he killed her. I think he he really did see her alive. Yeah. I think they both knew it, and this guy walked off and gave a different statement because he didn't want to yeah. be that guy of like, oh, well, I mean, I was late to work. <laughs> I was late to work. He was like, oh, she was already dead. You know what? It's the police's fault. Where were they? Yeah. I, I don't think Cross fucking this is ridiculous. He was a meat deliverer, by the way. Yeah, by the way. Yeah, so that, that may be how... Oh. 
I. Yeah, yeah. So there's no, some brief, just... brief miscommunication by the press. <clears throat> yeah, it, this is just. Uh... He just isn't the guy, right? I. The only thing that really links him is the fact that on his route to work, oh, Martha God. Tabram was on his route to work. Polly Nichols was murdered on his route to work. Annie Chapman was murdered on the same <clears> route. <throat> uh. All right, let's go over him just just for the sake of having said. Ka- we went Catherine over E. Downs and Elizabeth Stride actually is weird. We he's not. This not on his route to work, but apparently his mom lives near one of them. No, no, no. no we don't need to do this. We don't. Just, Are you sure? I, I yeah, feel let's like, read over this I, quick. I feel like we should uh, just mention him. It goes without saying the only crime scene. This is not a quote, by the way. This is just from the the website. It goes without saying that the only crime scene we can actually place Cross at is the one of Marianne Nichols. His presence at all the others is pure conjecture and falls in the kind of what if could have been possible. So, for example, Martha Tabram was murdered on a route Cross could have taken to work at a time when he was in the area. Polly Nichols was murdered along his path and he was found near her body. Annie Chapman was murdered on the same route days later. If we knew with absolute certainty what time Chapman was killed, the case for or against Cross would become clearer. The double event, the killings of Elizabeth Stride and Catherine O'Dowes, could have been performed by Cross. The murder so far could have been uh, could have been done going to and from work. Does the killing of Mary Kelly fit this template, or was it an adventurous change in the killer's modus operandi? Operandi, operandi. sorry. Was it a holiday a holiday treat? Jesus. So yeah, so a lot of people are basically saying he could have been it because he could have been in all of the areas and he had a. Like, we know a lot of the murders were along his path. And maybe the only one that wasn't was, like, Mary Kelly. I think that puts him in my head above pretty much everyone else we've yeah, talked about. Yeah, fuck it, I'll give him a six. I was gonna say, I'm gonna give him a solid six. The only evidence you people know have is that he was in the area. I'm, I'm gonna give him a seven. Okay, this one's gonna be real quick. Frederick Deeming was arrested for murdering his second wife in Melbourne in 1892. It then transpired that he had also murdered his first wife in Rainhill, Liverpool in 1891. Following his conviction in Melbourne, there were reports in the newspaper that he had confessed to the last two Whitechapel murders. Oh, hold on. Oh, my God. I accidentally scribbled that. Just call this one no, wait Freddy Boy. I was just going to say Deeming. Deeming. Now, wait a minute. The last two murders is in the canonical five or the potential? Ah. Uh... I think the last two Whitechapel murders means the last two in the actual Whitechapel file. So that would be um, after Mary Kelly. Francis Cole is the last one. Yeah. Who was the one before? I think that? it's possibly killed him, but. Maybe. But I don't think the he was Ripper? Ripper. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. There's just... I mean, it just says there were reports in the newspaper that he confessed the last two Whitechapel murders. I'm going to give this guy a three. I'll give him a three. Now we're blowing through him because right. these guys are fucking. Louis Dimeschutz. Wait, we wait, talked wait. about this guy. Oh yes, Dime the one shoots. who found Elizabeth Stride's body. Hold on, this is the guy who was by the Jewish club, right? Yeah. See that? I knew I was thinking of one of them. Hold on, Jew. There we go. Oh, you just skipping him entirely? <laughs> well, no, we can we can look at him. Let's, Let's just run over because he was in. He, he, he. If we went over Cross, we might as well go over him. He's the one who almost caught Jack the Rippers, but he's technically <clears throat> called. But uh. How is he the one who almost caught Jack the Ripper? Get the fuck out of here. So that yeah, there's a theory that Louis Dimeschutz was the was the one who murdered. I think this all evidence for it. I think I think this all stems from the anti-Semitism of the time. 
Jew? Yeah, sorry. Jewish. All right, another quick one. In October 1890, Mary Piercy murdered her lover's wife, Phoebe Hogg, and her baby daughter. She was hanged for the crime at Newgate for the crime, sorry, at Newgate Prison on 23rd of December 1890. In 1939, author William Stewart proposed her as a contender for having been Jack the Ripper. Am I going to get any proof? Okay. No. Well, she's obviously Hold on, Woman. hold on. God damn it. I didn't get the name, Jake. Sorry. She obviously Mary Piercy. Yeah, she obviously isn't, but that's still very What uh, we get dime shits? What? What'd we get, Dimeshits? Three? Yeah. Where's Dimeshits? I didn't even Louis. put him down. Louis. Oh, yeah, I, I just gave him Jewish. Yeah. All right. Uh, did a murder. Woman, yeah, there you go. And I added killer. All right, Dr. Neil Cream. Because she's a woman and a woman killer. See, it works. I'm just... What? Dr. Neil Thomas Crean was hanged at Newgate Prison on the 15th of November, 1892, for poisoning four prostitutes in London. As he was being hanged, the hangman, James Billington, claimed that he heard him say, I am Jack, just as the trap fell from between his, from beneath his feet. So was he about to be, was he about to confess to being Jack the Ripper? There's no fucking way that this is the last guy. This is the last guy. Are you? I'm fucking serious. Jake, where are the real suspects? Dude, the, this website's a fucking sham, dude. Do me a favor, real quick. Before we get do into we anything look at the else, votes? do we look not, at the not votes? Yet, not yet, not yet. I want you to look right, up. Right cream? I'd like you to look up John Law. Because I want to I wanna see if anybody else has anything to say about him. Because this guy, John Law, is easily the most likely of all of them so far. They ain't even fucking talk about him. Yeah, yeah, try that one. Try one of them. Of Out of Work by John Law. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Written by John Law. Huh? No, Jack no, no, the Ripper no, no. tour. That, that's, that's different. Go go, go back up. I feel like you, mi you missed part. What, what's that one? That's John no, Law's Henry. Oh. Uh, this is just this is just Britannica.com. We can check. I don't even know what I'll, that I'll is. I'll control F. Nope, nothing. So, I'm confused. Is that it? There's no... I what wanted something say? a little more satisfying. Holy shit! Holy shit. All right, we shit. covered all these guys. Okay, okay. All right, what about so, James so, Thomas Sadler? Did we cover him? No. These are, he was, these the, are the he was the sailor, ones. Wes. The friend of Francis Cole. Oh my god, this is what we want to talk about. Right, James hold, Thomas hold, hold. Sadler. Hold on, hold on. Sadler. James... Sadler. James Thomas Sadler. Oh, he was at sea at the time of the first four canonical murders. Well, I'm just going to write semen. Okay. <clears throat> what? What, what um, now? What, what now? is he reading? William Henry Burry? Burry? I, was just, I was just trying to go down to him. All right, hold on. So I'll 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 read this for you guys. So William Henry Bur uh, William Henry Berry had recently moved to Dundee from the east end of London when is this right? Is his this wife Ellen Elliot? I know, but this does this tell when exactly? Because this just says from May. This he died in eighty nine, which is real, which is why so these I are got these are these are like at the time what people thought. Press and public opinion. So, um. He strangled his wife, who was a former prostitute, and this was on February 4th, 
1889, he inflicted extensive wounds to her abdomen after she was dead and packed the body into a trunk. That's not very Ripper-like. Yeah. He denied any connection when the yeah. link was investigated by police. And the executioner promoted the idea that he was the Ripper, but not yeah, really. He was... All right, we got Thomas Cupbush, friendly Bailey Deeming. Yep, 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 yep. We know this guy. Deeming? Did we talk about Deeming? Yeah, we talked about Deeming. Yeah. He's in here. Yeah, yeah, we talked about Deeming. Who the fuck? So, like, he was imprisoned or in South Africa at the time of the Ripper murders. Wait, wait. So, we're now in, like, this is what authors are. Hold okay, on. Yeah, you're, these are you're just passing by. Sorry. These are, no, Wes, these are what the press and public opinion thought oh, at the time. Oh, fuck yeah. that. Keep going. So, authors. Post by later authors, Prince Albert Victor, Duke of Clarence and Avondale. Let's I like to talk, talk, to talk about him real quick, because yeah. he's one people Write this guy down as Prince. Prince. Not Purple Rain Prince. Okay. I miss Prince. Prince. Not anyway, Purple Rain. Anyway, so, he was first mentioned in Prince as a potential suspect when Philippe Julian, 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 his biography of Clarence's father, King Edward VII, <laughs> was published in 1962. Julian made a passing reference to rumors that Clarence might have been responsible for the murders. Though Julian did not detail the dates or sources of the rumor, it is possible that the rumor derived indirectly from Dr. Thomas E. A. Stowell. In 1960, Stowell told the rumor to writer Colin Wilson, who in turn told Harold Nicholson, a biographer loosely credited as the source of, quote, hitherto unpublished anecdotes in Julian's book. Nicholson could have communicated Stowell's theory to Julian. The theory was brought to major public attention in 1970 when an article by Stowell was published in The Criminologist that revealed his suspicion that Clarence had committed the murders after being driven mad by syphilis. The suggestion was widely dismissed as Albert Victor had strong alibis for the murders and it is unlikely that he suffered from syphilis. Stowell later denied implying that Clarence was the Ripper, but efforts to investigate his claims further were hampered as Stowell was elderly and he died from natural causes just days after the publication of his article. The same week, Stowell's son reported that he had burned his father's papers, saying, quote, I read just sufficient to make certain that there was nothing of importance. God damn it with you Brits burning shit. I know. Wait, wait, do you yeah. guys just get a hard on these burned papers? theorists have elaborated. Yeah. Yeah, rather than implicate Albert Victor directly, right. they claimed that he secretly married and that he had a daughter with a Catholic shop assistant and that Queen Victoria, British Prime Minister Lord Salisbury, and his Freemason friends and the Metropolitan Police conspired to murder anyone aware of, Al anyone aware of Albert Victor's supposed child. Many facts contradict this theory, and its originator, Joseph Gorman, later known as Joseph Sickert, later retracted the story admitted to the press that it was a hoax. So it's, it, it's just not him. There's more variations, you... including Walt, Walter Sickert, William Gull, James Kenneth Stephen, to greater or less about Sickert. fictionalizing novels and films. Okay, so, oh. by the way, guys, if you were like, hey, I heard this one about a Prince, it's not fucking him. Oh, Joseph Barnett, Mary Kelly's lover. Um, okay, all right. Um, Inspector Aberline questioned him for four hours after Kelly's murders, and his clothes were examined for bloodstains, but he was then released without charge. Uh, a century later, author Bruce Paley proposed him as a suspect of Kelly, uh, as a suspect. This is just hearsay! We're yeah. literally talking about hearsay! Are you guys this fucking bad? And you, oh my god. Lewis Carroll, here we go. Yeah! Author of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, he was named a suspect based upon anagrams which author Richard Wallace devised <coughs> for his book, Jack the Ripper, Lighthearted Friend. Wallace argues that Carol had a psychotic breakdown after being assaulted by a man when he was 12. Dude, come on. You're going to say he's, he's a rape victim, so he went and murdered people? I don't know, man. Anyway, moreover, according to Wallace, Carol wrote a diary every day in purple ink, but on the days of the Whitechapel killings, he switched to black. Really? Dude, I'm fucking colorblind. You can't, you can't use that shit against me. This claim me. is not taken seriously by scholars. Yes. Yeah. With an expert of Richard Wallace's book appearing in Harper's, a letter to the editor cleverly debunked the idea that the anagrams, which Wallace had produced from Carol's work, were meaningful. The authors of the letter, Guy Jacobson and Francis Haney. Haney? Is that fucking Haney? Anyway, 
took the first paragraph of Wallace's expert and produced an impressive anagram that had Wallace confessing to the murder of Nicole Brown and the framing of O.J. Simpson, thus demonstrating how incriminating anagrams can be produced from any reasonably lengthy passage. Hey, man. Holy shit. I'm not saying I'm not saying he did it. I'm not saying he framed O.J., but if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. God damn it, Wallace. Why'd you murder Nicole Simpson? Nicole Brown, sorry. Okay. Uh, so, oh, I would, oh I, David I Cohen, twenty-three-year-old Polish wait, Jew. Wait, wait, wait. Let's continue because the ne- uh, it continues. Whose incarceration <sighs> at uh, Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum so, on December seventh, eighteen eighty-eight, roughly coincided with the end of the murders. Okay. An unmarried tailor, Cohen was described as a violently antisocial, poor East End local. He was suggested as a suspect by author and ripperologist Martin Fido in his book *The Crimes, Detection, and Death of Jack the Ripper*, nineteen eighty-seven. <laughs> Fido claimed that the name David Cohen was used at the time to refer to a Jewish immigrant who either could not be positively identified or whose name was too difficult to play for police to spell, in the same fashion that John Doe is used in the United States today. Fido identified Cohen with leather aprons, see John Pizer above, and speculated that Cohen's true identity was Nathan Kaminsky, fuck me, a bookmaker living in Whitechapel who had been treated at one time for syphilis and could not oh be traced after mid-1888, the same time that Cohen appeared. Fido believed the police officials confused the name Kaminsky with Kosminsky, <sighs> resulting in the wrong man coming under suspicion, see Aaron Kosminsky above. Cohen exhibited violent, destructive tendencies while at the asylum and had to be distrained. He died at the asylum October 1889. In his book, The Cases That Haunt Us, former FBI criminal profiler John Douglas has asserted that behavioral clues gathered from the murders all point to a person, quote, known to the police as David Cohen or someone very much like him. I give this guy Let's, a fucking eight. I give this guy a fucking eight right now. Do it. What? Fucking David Cohen. It was David Cohen. Can we be done? William Withy Gull? Physician in ordinary to Queen Victoria? He was named as the Ripper as part of the evolution of the widely discredited Masonic royal conspiracy theory outlined in books such as Jack the Ripper, The Final Solution. Coachman John Netley has been named as his accomplice. Uh, thanks for the pop- thanks to the popularity of this theory among fiction writers and for its dramatic nature, Gull shows off as the Ripper in a number of books and films, including the TV film Jack the Ripper, Alan Moore and Eddie Grampel's graphic novel, novel From Hell, 1999, and his 2001 film adaptation, which Ian Holm plays Gull. Okay, conventional historians have never taken Gull seriously as a suspect due to a sheer lack of evidence. In addition, he was in his 70s at the time of the murders and had recently <laughs> suffered a stroke. <laughs> it's definitely God. that guy. Fuck, why is everyone in this case so stupid? Or, like, how dumb can you fucking people be? How are you, like, ripperologist? Basically, slap the word fucking jackass on your forehead. How about, how about we read... Oh, fuck, there's so many of these. Alright, you know I'm what? Done. I'm done. You know, let's you know real quick go back to to the not these guys, but the other page, and let's just see what people voted for. Yeah. Because I'm so curious. Well, who do you guys think it is? Let's see. Voting is limited to once. Is this a fucking Google link? <laughs> Alright, hold on. Is there an? Uh... Oh wait, wait, David Cohen. David Dude, Cohen. Go David back, Cohen. Go back. Go back. Go David back. Cohen. Why didn't you include him in the website? David right, Cohen. It's David. Submit it? Let's see. Can we see the results? We see the results. Wait, wait. Go back down. Go back down. Yep. The results. Oh, the so results far. so far. Yeah. Click. Click here. Gonna make you go. First is Aaron Kosminski. Are you fucking? S- we, How we, dumb are the people who read this website? <laughs> we gave him a Francis Tumblety. He was just gay. <laughs> Jake, you can't yell that loud. You know what's sad? Oh my god. Wait, 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 Where wait, is wait, David wait, Cohen? Wait, wait, wait. I was about to say he's seventeen. He's seventeen. Go back up a little bit. Number seventh. Just some local nobody. You can't say it was just some local nobody. You can't do that. The guy Dude. obviously had. Cl- oh my god. 
That's just oh my god. So we so why just, did I use this fucking website? Let's, it had so much information. I thought Jake, it was like super it's helpful. It's the official website. It it's has jacktheripper.org.org, <laughs> Jake. Official. So just to run down for you guys, number one was Aaron Kosminski, which we gave a zero. Then Francis Tumblety, the gay guy, remember? Which we wrote. Which we wrote. Gay. gay. <laughs> Homo. <laughs> then Charles Cross, who uh, just. Could have been in all the Wait, areas. We what talk? we give yes. Charles? A six or a seven. six or seven. Because it was a possibility. Yeah. Then James Maybrick, who we gave not real. Because not he real. wasn't even fucking real. <laughs> then Druitt, who we gave... Where's... Oh, where'd I put Druitt? We, not real because Maybrick wrote the diary, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Druitt, which I know is on here. Right here. Ah, there he is. Four and Four two. And two. Then we go to Walter, Walter Sickert, Sickert, who we gave... Uh, nope and nope. Yeah. Then some it's local just nobody. the top ones are just the ones listed on this website. Yeah, H.H. Holmes. Prince Albert Edward Victor Who's is 12th. Who's H.H. Holmes? Josh Burnett. George Chapman. Where did we give him? We, we talked about him. him. A five and a five. Because it, it could have been Burnett? him. We did go on Burnett, didn't we? No, we didn't. Josh yeah, Burnett? Nope. No, okay. Never talked Thomas about him. Thomas Cutbush. What did we give Thomas Cutbush, Wes? Thomas Cutbush. Did we talk about him? We did. He Thomas was, Cutbush. Uh, two and one. Two and one. Albert... I put that as didn't sing because you said it wasn't the Purple Rain kind. Yeah. Jacob Levy, haven't talked about him. Hutchinson, nope. Leather Feigenbaum? Apron. Wait, wait, Feigenbaum, did we talk about him? Leather Apron's above David Cohn. Are you fucking serious? Carl Feigenbaum? We definitely talked we about We mentioned Feigenbaum. him, but he was, but I didn't put him in here. You didn't? I don't think so. I don't think he was talked about as a suspect. But no. I remember talking about him. David Cohen. Oh, fuck. Was Carl Feigenbaum talked about as a suspect? No, he wasn't. No, he was just a no he was Bro, someone else. Hold on, let me find him here. Oh, God, please don't. I don't know how much more I can handle of this, Jake. This this is starting to hurt. God damn, dude. This is I hope we get like a bunch of listeners on our on our website. If 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 you have honestly if you've like heavily looked into the Jack the Ripper case, can you please I don't want to even listed on the Wikipedia, I know. dude. It, because he was a Oh no, wait, there he is. Yeah. If if you are are a ripperologist and I haven't offended you this much, can you please Find, like, just tweet us, twitter.com backslash half, capital H, talentless, capital T, and just tell us what you, who you think it is. And if you say it's one of the, the, these, these fucking, what, eight or nine that this website lists, I don't believe you, and I don't think you're a real human being. So what, what did this guy do? Uh, he was convicted of another murder for cutting the throat of Miss Juliana Hoffman. Whoa, hold uh, on. He, the guy said he... <laughs> well, wait, wait. A Jew, a German merchant seaman. We talked about a potential phrasing. Uh, phrasing. Yeah. So talk... he was executed and uh, claimed that Lawton, who was Lawton, Lawton was his lawyer. His lawyer claimed that he believed that Feigen, Feigenbaum was Jack the Ripper. He said so. Lawton claimed that Feigenbaum admitted to having a hatred of women and desire to kill and mutilate them. To which Lawton further stated he did believe Feigenbaum was Jack the Ripper. Uh, uh, though covered by the press at the time, the idea was not pursued for more than a century. Using Lawton's accusation as a base, author Trevor Marriott, a former British murder squad detective, oh my god, a fucking a real qualified person, argued that Feigenbaum was responsible for the Ripper murders as well as the other murders in the United States and Germany between 1891 and 1894. According to Wolf, uh, 
Vanderlinden. Vanderlinden. Some of the murders listed by Marriott did not accurately actually, actually occur. Oh boy. Newspapers often embellished or created Ripper-like stories to boost sales. And then Lawton's accusation was disputed by a partner in his legal firm, Hugh O. Pentecost. <sighs> Your last name's Pentecost? Anyway. And there was no proof that Feigenbaum was in Whitechapel at the time of the murders. Xanthi Mallet, a Scottish forensic anthropologist and criminologist who investigated the case, investigated the case in 2011, wrote there is considerable doubt that all of the Jack the Ripper murders were committed by the same person. She concludes that Feigenbaum could have been responsible for one, some, or perhaps all of the Whitechapel murders. I, I completely I, disagree. I completely disagree with that. Jack the Ripper was one man. You know what? How about this? And no, can we find what Jack the Ripper suspects died in 1889? That's how. Bam. I, I've sold half of your fucking work. And were any of them sailors? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Asking for Jack the Rapper. Jake. Jack the Ripper. Please. Died in 1888. Died. Ni that's 1988. Oops. Died in 1970. For what? Jack the Ripper was an English serial killer. Yeah, don't, okay. you don't need to read that. We, we've no, started. no, 1889. Look up 1889. Because wasn't there a murder in 89? Uh, yeah, but we didn't believe any of them were committed by him. Francis Coles was in 1889. Was it, it was like, late? It was, eight, okay, it was but like, like I'm thinking like, er, all right, oh, hold on. William Henry Barry. Yeah, we talked about Barry. Did we? Oh, fuck, we did. Yeah. What did we give him? Where is William? William Henry Barry. William, where the fuck did I put him? Did, we, no, we, we, we did talk, talk about, about Barry. Oh. We very much talked about Barry. He was the first one in the, in the, in the, in, in Wikipedia. We talked about him in Wikipedia. Oh, well, then I didn't put him down. Did we give him an eight? No, that's no, David, Cohen. David Cohen. So hold on, William Henry Dude, Barry. Just, it was David Cohen, alright? I want to go to bed. It's oh, yeah, because he murdered his wife. Yeah. He was executed. Yeah. Man, this fucking sucks, dude. This was... So I'm sorry for the most uneventful, horribly... Oh, man, it was David Cohen, alright? You yeah. know what? I fully believe it was David Cohen. Agreed. What an FBI fucking criminologist and behavioral... Guy. It was Cohen. It's not even an argument. When it was Cohen. Fucking, when Hotch was says Co it was David Cohen, it's fucking <laughs> David Cohen, all right? Go back to David Cohen real quick. David Cohen. Oh, right there, right there. Co-founder and chairman of the board. Yep, David the entrepreneur. Cohen. Not that David Cohen. David Cohen, Jack. Or the is Ripper. it? Dude, we, we solved it. <laughs> all right, uh... Yeah. Wait, wait, alright. Died in 89? It's fucking David Cohen! Yeah, dude. It's... Why are he we was, waste? He was put in an asylum in, like, December of 88. Yeah. Right after the murders. Yes, stopped. yes, yes. We wasted two hours of your time and ours. David, look up if you really care. Go look David up Cohen right now. David Cohen is Jewish, though. So, I guess they were onto something. I hate to say it, but the worst person we know is just right about something, Wes. Yep. So listen, if you if you want to know more about him, because we're done. This is it. We're done. Yeah, we done. just wasted two hours. We're done, pal. No, we're done. You're no done. more Jack the Ripper. No more. This Jack was the Ripper. a horrible. We're not letdown. that guy, pal. It, so go if you if you're curious. Look up David Cohen, Jack the Ripper. Read all about him. This guy was obviously the fucking killer. Yeah. We we looked at him for less than a minute, and we were like, "This is the fucking guy." Doctor Spencer Reed of Criminal Minds fame literally just came in. And, oh, I'm getting a call. Oh, it's, it's Dr. Spencer Reed. I was just talking about him. What'd you say? Oh, you, you're the subject of the hit killer song, Mr. Brightside? Cool. Oh, also David Cohen was the murderer. <laughs> I yeah. was so confused where the fuck you were going with that. Like, oh, 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, t- I'll talk to you later. Kisses. We just wasted two hours of our lives and yours. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to put in the description of this episode, if you want to skip two hours of fucking nonsense, go to, the, go to one minute, 59 seconds. Exactly. You ready? One hour, 59 minutes? Yeah, I... God damn it. Go to one minute... One hour. One... Go to one hour, 59 minutes, and 15 seconds. It was David Cohen! It was David Cohen! Go look up David Cohen right now. David Cohen, Jack Better Ripper. use of two hours. Better use I of mean, your time. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like, I like our podcast, and I like people listening to our podcast, but fuck, this was egregious. I, like, I'm almost, I'm almost prepared to go this- look... I'm gonna go look up David Cohen. I'm gonna write a full-length article myself about how about why he was obviously the killer and everyone else is and stupid. We'll to it on Twitter. And I'm gonna link to it on Twitter. Twitter.com backslash half capital H talentless capital T. Jake, hit him with the ending. What what announcements we got? Oh, <coughs> um, yeah, a lot of people, a couple people said hi on Twitter. That's that's still a standing uh standing offer. If you tweet us exactly the word hi, I'll tweet you back hi. All right, so um, we also just oh, finished yeah. recording last night our first episode for the gaming channel. It's probably going to be called Sweat gaming. Saturdays. Yeah, we've just... Fortnite gameplay videos, so we, if you're not into that, that's okay. <laughs> we've decided we, we uh, again, we want your feedback. That's why we're mentioning these things. We decide um, we like Sweat Saturdays, which is us. We put ourselves in high-intensity games when we're bad yeah. and then get mad about it. And it's it's... Although, I will say, one of us did clutch up for a win. Whoa, hey, hey. Yeah, find out. Gotta find out. Yeah, you gotta find we out. We also who. like the idea of spooky Saturdays where we'll Which play we'll do like horror games, horror games, yeah. and uh, we'll get ourselves a little webcam for that one, so you can yeah. see our face. I know you want to see what that. Was my face. I don't know how we're gonna do a webcam for the Xbox. Well, for a horror game, I'd just sit here on the computer, right? You would. Is the computer gonna be here, Wes? I can drive up. Really? Oh, you be want to visit me for that? Yes. Cool. Also, third thing to mention. On brand, Jake is going back to college tomorrow I'm probably, for I'm us. Probably not going to write a whole lot of episodes. Um. So by the time this comes out, Jake will already be there. So but hey, if, winter break comes up, maybe I'll write one just for you guys. Whoa. So yeah, we'll be back to the the regularly scheduled Wesley goes on writing for three minutes. No, no, no. All right, I'm gonna put in the Frankly, work, the I'd, effort, and the, the if I'd put in like, time. dude. <clears throat> This, this would have been a 15 second episode. <laughs> this legit if I just had the sh- time to go through each one of these articles, I would have. Jake, I'm not kidding. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna edit out 90% of this bullshit. Like, I'm gonna, I'm going to take some of them and just edit them out. This is a two hour episode. No, 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 no. You know I'll what? Just leave you it. know what? Just leave it. We're gonna leave it. We're gonna leave it. If you, how about this? How about this? What? I'll go back through it before I upload it, and I'll include timestamps for each person we talk about, and I'll just write like, I'll write like, skip. Skip, skip. <laughs> well, I will and you, put. People can skip them if they again. Want to. I will put in the in or put in there when we get to David Cohen, the actual killer. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have somehow managed to stick with us this long, if you listened to the whole two hours, we're gonna stop you. it now so that you can go back to what you were doing. I'm so sorry for you having to sit through this. I hope you were willing. I hope you were like working out or something and getting you know being productive while also listening to something completely not productive at all. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm yep. hungry. I, I don't know why I'm well, fucking sitting here. So It's been two hours of nonsense, but get <laughs> so it going. We'll hit you guys up with some incredible content coming soon. Wes is back in the driver's seat, baby!
Um, Reddit.com. Next week, crop circles. And with that, we leave it. I'm Wes. I'm Jake. And this has been a very exhausting long episode of the Half Talentless Podcast.